Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. C'est un rêve en moi Si vrai, si fort All the world in union I've got a hypothetical question for you. I would like to know, said the hypothetical question. You are the coach of a rugby team. Okay, okay. Well, okay. I actually am, so this so far so yes. good. Yes, yes. Yeah, sure, let's go with that. Let's go with the long eaten under-16s, okay. right? Your team, that what you coach. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you are coaching this team, okay? You I find am. yourself in a situation where you are one score behind and there is about 10 minutes to go, okay? You need to try to win it, Okay. Yeah. So this things are going all right. You haven't been in the game much, but you've mm. got better and better as it's gone on. And then now you're suddenly in a position in which you could come back and win this game. Yes. Right? On your bench, you have the Titanium 10 himself, Ander Munro. Do you bring him on? Absolutely. I've got it written in my notes twice that they should have brought him on. Congratulations. You just won the game. Canada... On the other hand, unlucky. Unlucky gang. Uh, hello, welcome to the Squid Rugby World Cup Retrospective, a rugby podcast that is still trying to cover every single Rugby World Cup match ever played. We are currently on the 2007 tournament and we are looking at today Fiji against Canada from the 2007 Rugby World Cup. Just the game everyone is hoping to hear about the week of Super Saturday, the week of the start of the Women's Six Nations. We've just spent half an hour before we started having to like push this back and delay it because we were just talking about bloody the Women's Six Nations. But no, what we want to talk really about, what everyone wants to hear about, is Fiji against Canada from the Rugby World Cup of 2007. Yes, absolutely. And look, it's really good that, yeah, we've done our whole trying to be woke thing by caring about the women's uh, rugby. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But instead here, what we're doing is we're pandering to the actual woke society by covering men's rugby. And um, one of probably the most important and well-known games of men's rugby in history being Canada against Fiji from the 2007 I've World Cup. I've been told in past that covering Tier 2 games and looking at Tier 2 rugby is woke. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. So I think this is pretty woke, the fact that we're talking about Jamie Cudmore. Yeah, I think people kick the ball in this as well, which is extremely woke. Oh, it's so woke. It's it's almost like the word woke doesn't mean anything. Mm. Almost. 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 Almost like it doesn't mean anything and yet it's still racist. Yeah, yeah. I would call you woke, but if I wasn't to call you woke, what would I call you? Oh, Robbie or Squidge or whatever you want to call me. And yourself? You would call me Long Eaton Under 16's Coach Will Owen. And I will call you that exclusively for the rest of your life. Okay. That's legally binding. It's on a podcast. <laughs> yes. As anyone knows, that is how the law works. So, one of the most important things about rugby, right, is passing the ball. Did you know this? Um, 
Yeah, I think I've I've learned it gradually. I grew up watching James Hook, so like it took me a few years to eventually to get work past out that, that you're allowed to actually let it go yes. when you shape to pass. Yeah, I thought yeah, the hypothetical yeah, yeah, yeah. of passing was quite important, but I didn't realize you could actually do it. You know? Yeah, cool. That wasn't going anywhere. Gareth Davis. So um, the bloody 2007 World Cup, right? Yeah, it's bloody now. It's this covered, is it's covered in. It's blood. like Super Boot, you know. It's bloody Super Boot, and it's bloody the 2007 World Cup. I praise them both very highly. So, this is a rare chance in 2023 to talk about Canada in a Rugby World Cup. Yes. And I am going to say that watching this game back today, as I did, Fiji against Canada, I really miss Canada as a team. Yeah. Like, it's the main thing I took out of this, right? Um, There's many points about the rugby and about Fiji and whatever, and Fiji have been consistent throughout the history of the game. But Canada, they're kind of fading in the last decade, is a real tragedy for it rugby, is. I think. It is. I mean, we grew up around the 2011 and 2015 Canada teams who were fantastic, had mm. such great players across the board. I know that the 2015 one wasn't particularly successful, but like the 2011 one was one of the greatest Canada teams to ever exist. So there's something about their identity and style of play that I really miss. And it's such yeah. a shame that Kingsley Jones has done this to them and that both him and the Canada board haven't had the decency to go like, no, actually, he's ruined this for us. Like, we need to do the right thing and change up top what's happening. I, the players are clearly unhappy. And I think yeah, I'll maybe get onto Kingsley Jones a bit as we go on. Okay. But I do think there's been a general kind of malaise that's sat over Canadian rugby in general. I think there's been an awful lot at higher up levels beyond Kingsley Jones that has got an awful lot wrong. Mm. Uh, There's an awful lot of that isn't their fault in terms of finance and in terms of just the geography of it. You know, like it's something that I've heard from numerous Canada coaches in the past when you look at the likes of Mark Anscombe and Kingsley Jones himself and the, you know, the Kieran Crowleys of the world who've all talked about how difficult a job Canada is. Yeah, I don't doubt that. geographically... It's enormous. Yeah, it's really widespread. And yet, yeah, you have a handful of pockets of like rugby towns where the players are based and so on. And they're so far apart. Yeah. <laughs> they're difficult to get between. But the core rugby setup, the rugby calendar side and the national team training and everything is not in the capital city. Um, it's in Vancouver. And so there's a kind of like mess there and you're forcing people to move to Vancouver in order to be full-time pros if they're paying them professionally. But then you've also got the Toronto Arrows now. So... There's an awful lot there that is a kind of organisational nightmare that's really hard to try and resolve without significantly more funding, Mm. which in many ways is not their fault. But also, I don't know if they've done enough to try and counter those problems. And I've heard an awful lot about how, you know, I've spoken to a couple of like Canada and 20s type players or even once or twice, you know, internationals. We, you know, obviously had one on this podcast before about the sheer organisational mess and the fact that there is a preference amongst the national team with, obviously, headed up by Kingsley Jones, for Canadian qualified players from other nations who've grown up playing rugby rather than maybe athletes who found it in late yeah. stage of high school at 16, 17, rather than, you know, someone of equivalent talent who grew up in Ireland with a Canadian grandfather mm. or whatever else. There's a kind of heavy preference for that. And there's an awful lot kind of like right the way down that seems rotten from everyone i speak to and yet there is still a bubbling enthusiasm and love within the the community for it yeah and it's a real shame it's being treated so poorly because like again watching 
the word you use about identity, like this Canada team had a really clear identity. It was the same mm. in 87. It was the same in 2011 on the World Cups we watched back. Same in 2015 and other Rugby World Cups we haven't covered on this podcast. Like, they, they have a real clear sense of who they are. And yeah. I really miss that. There's a real sense of fight to the way they play every time, even when yeah. they're the overdog, which is rare. You know, like, they're hmm. always, not, not always, but they're mainly the underdog, certainly in this World Cup. In 87, that's slightly different, I think, because that was, a, you know, hmm. a really well-remembered Canadian team. But yeah, it's it's a real shame that we don't get the chance to see that from the Canadian men's team on, like, a big platform anymore. And yeah. you don't really get to see them play high-profile tests anymore. And when we do, you're right, it's just depressing watching it and seeing yeah. them have to scrape past the Netherlands, seeing them get battered by 50 points by Spain. Seeing stuff like that happen to them, it's kind of heartbreaking. Like, when you yeah. think back to this team and, like, you know, the James Pritchards and the DTH van der Mervers, the Rod Snows, the Jamie Cudmores. Jamie Cudmores may be a rough example. But, like, these players who have been such great servants to Canadian rugby, that mm. now that they've then their time, they've put their feet up and retired, and they have to sit through this. It's just, your heart melts for them. And there are genuine real talents in this current Canadian team. Yeah. The Andrew Coe's, the Ben Lesages, mm. the whoever else is the world. Lucas world's. Rumbles. Yeah. Lucas Rumble. Yeah. Some really great players. Justices, Duru, there's plenty mm. of them. And I'm sure there's plenty of young players coming through that aren't getting the chance because they're being mismanaged and badly coached and not given opportunities. Yeah. And they're also, because they're not qualifying for the World Cup now and they're not getting these big games, they're not getting the opportunity to put themselves in the shop window. And you look at someone like Dieter van der Berver or Jeff Hassler wouldn't get a professional contract now, no. you know, because they wouldn't get the opportunity to show what they can do. And they end up stuck there. And it's just such a horrible shame. Mm. And Tyler Ardron is kind of one of those players you mentioned, a phenomenal, like, borderline world-class player to have come out of Canada and is now not going to play for the national team. Says he might come back for World Cup qualifying if he feels like it, but it's just yeah. because he was miserable and fed he up He doesn't want it. a part of it. And, like, yeah. he was captain for Canada. For, he's probably captain them in about 20 to 30 tests, I would guess. Yeah. Which is a brilliant amount. And he is such a proud Canadian, and that really came across mm. in his time at the Ospreys and at the Chiefs and at was it Mont- Montpellier that he uh, went to in France. Cast. Cast. It's such a shame that, like... He is, as I guess, the standard setter as somebody who really drives those standards has said, has noted that the best way that he can do that is by stepping away entirely. And that's such, it's so representative mm. of the sad state of affairs that Rugby Canada find themselves in with the men's team. Yeah. And then you look further at Kingsley Jones in particular and what an awful job he's doing. You saw Andrew Coe as one notable player a kind of senior player from the Sevens setup, yeah. very much celebrating when the coach of the Sevens men's team got fired last year or left under whatever circumstances. And he found himself saying, well, look at how much more we can do if we can get some proper in at all our teams. And there is a sense perhaps of disunity. Yeah. And I don't think... Now, this is a, a weird situation where like I... I don't think I've talked about this publicly before. The email I got... <laughs> Do you want to address this? Shall we? What do yeah, you think? Yeah, go on then. Go on then. Okay. So, um, yeah, I haven't talked about this publicly before. I got an email over lockdown from one certain Mr. Kingsley Jones. The head coach of the Canadian national team has been in position for, what, six years now? Yeah, yeah. And he's doing a really good job, let's say. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna play devil's advocate and uh, pretend that I'm the Rugby Canada board and say, so we've gone from a position where we 
we were seen as underperforming in the 2015 World Cup because we lost mm. by a kick to Romania, right? Mm. And that was underperforming. We didn't close out the game against Italy where we ran them really close as a, you know, a tier one nation. Yeah, we're ahead mm. in the second half. Yeah, exactly. Could have won it, but for a forward pass being disallowed. That's it. Slip through a try or two in the last 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, that was seen as underperforming. So that's, um, was Kieran Crowley in charge at that point? Yeah, 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 he was doing a terrible job, clearly. But Kingsley <laughs> Jones, however, doing a really good job. As uh, came came in in 2019, they scraped through qualifying, got absolutely battered in every single game, were pretty abjectly terrible, despite having some incredible players playing for them, and uh, would occasionally like score consolation try through fantastic moments of brilliance from the likes of Andrew Coe, Ben Lesage, uh, Matt Heaton, really Matt good Heaton, players yeah, like good that. And then, yeah, they've gone on and only lost to Spain by 50-odd points, as I say. Mm. They, they got a fantastic win over the Netherlands, which they ground out. They're getting hammered by the USA and everybody, and have failed to qualify for Rugby World Cup for the first time in history. They, He's doing a really good job. They just failed to qualify. They failed to reach the last two rounds of qualifying. Yes, the, yes they were one of the first like, teams eliminated. They, they went out at the earliest opportunity they could. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the very first chance they had to go out, they went out. Like, I'm not being That's funny. That's the position they're in. I am absolutely delighted that Chile and Portugal are in yes. the, this World Cup, right? But that should never have been the case, no. from a Canadian no. perspective. If you're the head coach of the national men's team, you should never be... That should never be something that comes into consideration. Somebody that's never qualified for a World Cup before leapfrogging you, and somebody who has qualified once before and... Portugal haven't made the same strides as Chile, and I would love to eat my words on this, hmm. haven't made the same strides as Chile have in the last few years in terms of taking, they, being giant slayers. They're great. Yeah, they were starting from a different position. as well. Yeah. Like, Portugal were rebuilding something. Yes. Where Chile were building something from the start. Yeah. And it's easier to come from there from being from having no base Ag- and kind of yes, build things agreed. up slowly. Agreed. And you look at the investments Chile have made in their high-performance program in the last few weeks that are huge and are going to help them continue to build on that. They're doing all the right things. Absolutely. And yet there's a there's a realistic world in which they overtake Uruguay as the second South American team yeah, in the I'd next love to five see years. That. I'd love to see that. I want Uruguay to remain competitive, but just the size and population and everything... Down with Argentina. Down with them. <laughs> oh, yeah, when I say second, yeah, second... Obviously, Uruguay's going to leapfrog Argentina. Yeah. Argentina dropped to, like... 16th but they're still the fourth best team in the world yeah it's all going to be a process the email no yeah the the yes so i got an email from one mr kingsley jones who's one of his kids they'd watch my videos they liked my videos they were clearly a fan of my videos or whatever and i had not only been quite uncomplimentary about the work he done with canada because not only were they playing terribly they looked behind the times a uh, separate note, the video I did on qualifying for the World Cup where Chile beat them. I made a comment about how poor and behind the times a lot of their setup around the ruck was there defensively. I forget the exact details, mm. but essentially they were running their defense around the ruck in the way that teams were in sort of 2009 to like 2012-ish. And it was massively behind the times, like enormously so. And... I got a a message from someone high up in Rugby Canada, who I won't name, partly because I don't have their detail in front of me, <laughs> asking me for more details on that so they can pass it on to the coaches. And also because like, that person was well-intentioned. Like, that person yes. was clearly thinking, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, we're yeah. doing something wrong, let's try and put this right. Like, And you've got to give credit but for that. The, but the fact they're in the that thing situation is, in the first place... Where I'm an idiot. Yeah, you are. Right, like, are, I'm an idiot. Hang on, let's to... just stay on that for a moment. You are an idiot. 
Yes, I am a very stupid person. You are a who fool. has just watched a lot of rugby, right? And every now and again, like every now and again, because I've made how many of a hundreds of hours of videos at this point, mm. every now and again, I make a decent point. And if professional coaches can't spot something that I can spot, then something's really wrong. It if is. you've got a team of analysts and professional coaches and none of them are noticing this, none of them are noticing that the game has changed and how teams defend. Imagine going to a World Cup and playing That's... against the All Blacks and Springboks and whoever else with that. Yeah. But yeah, the point was, basically, I heard from Kingsley Jones saying that I had been too harsh on him, perhaps. And I understand that. I understand that, you know, we kind of had a bit of a back and forth and I talked about how, you know, I'm sorry if it was very sharp, but also, you know, I'm trying to, it's part of my job and, you know, trying to reflect, talk about whatever. And here's the thing, right? The deeper and deeper we get into this, the clearer and clearer it is that he is doing a horrific job yeah. like and it keeps getting worse and worse yeah. and you look at i've also had a conversation with gary gold formerly usa eagles coach now there's a lot of name and you've got to episode. sorry yes you've got to really admire the way that when they failed to qualify for the world cup which was his real intention that was what he was in place to do he fell on his sword yeah and he went like i haven't done well enough here yeah. you know and like He's a good coach. He's achieved stuff in his career Absolutely. and has moved that program I've got forward. A lot of and done a lot for it. Gold. Yeah, yeah. And he went. You know what? Like, no, I haven't. I haven't hit the stands I was asked of. That's leadership. I'm going to quit. Yeah, exactly. That is true. Whereas Kinsey Jones is just hanging on to his. It's the same thing Wayne Pivak was doing. Like he was mm. more interested in keeping his own job. Billy Boris Johnson, same deal. More interested in keeping their job high up. And than the thing is, actually like, doing a good job. Uh, it's never really my. It's ironic we say this now, but like it's never really my intention mm. to use this kind of platform to call out people doing shit in rugby. Right? No, exactly. Like, like if like, someone has a shit game or has a string of several several shit games, I don't care about that. Like at the end yeah. of the day, they're doing their best. They're doing a lot better than I would. Right? And Kingsley Jones probably is doing a lot better than I would as coach as long as he's under sixteens. But. King, what, the thing about Kingsley Jones and what he's doing is him clinging on to this is affecting a lot of people's livelihoods. Yeah. Like, we've, we've mentioned Andrew Coe's name like four or five times. But yeah. him putting out that tweet about the Sevens programme and the fact like he just felt so relieved that there could be a change and like he could finally yeah. move forward with, with his career is absolutely huge. And it's not only the lives of the players involved, like Tyler Ardron, as I say, like just not mm. being involved. But like, Rugby um, Canada fans that don't have anything to focus on. Fans. Other yeah. than the women's the team. The women's team. And the women's team, Kevin Rue is a fantastic coach uh, involved mm, with the women's team. Mm. And I think that it's great that they do have something that they can go with as much as I think they could probably put a few more resources into the women's team than they put, than they yes, currently yes, do. Of course. But like, there is something to work with there. Whereas with the men's team, like, this has just gone on too long. Yeah. And you, as you say, like, watching this game from 2007, you can't help but just miss them and miss having them round because they're such a great underdog to cheer for. Yeah, and speaking of gone on too long, perhaps that's the same of us here. And as you say, like I, I saw someone on Reddit was getting very antsy and very annoyed with the fact that I overpraised players too much in the match report videos. Who cares? And saying like, well, Atoje was just folding around the corner. Like, don't say it's a phenomenal effort. I'm like, well, I would rather do that than rag on people. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. But like. Look, it's look at very Paul Williams, point. right? Look how positive he is about everything in rugby. That's what yeah. makes him great. And it's wonderful. Yeah. It's absolutely wonderful. And there are points in which that's not possible. You know, you look at the, the Paddy Jackson and Naira situations, yeah. I find it impossible to to praise anything they do because of the, the way they handled that. I wholeheartedly and it's hit a point with Canada now where I'm just like, I 
they've i'm not meaning to equate those two situations because they're very very different but they're both cases where i'm just really disappointed in Mm. an organization to the point it's very difficult to cheer for them and want them to do well because they're just there's this malaise that sets in that's just broken the entire nation down and yeah you feel for the fans and you feel for the like like having been through it with the ospreys and hit that point where they were so poor and they were so poorly coached and there was so much passion lacking from the way yeah. the players were playing because of that yeah that and you kind of failed to take responsibility for that until the board yeah. did it for him the alan clark situation and then the coachless era yes <laughs> the ospreys where that was the last time they were talking about wrapping them up and merging them with the scarlets which apparently almost happened and at that point i didn't care Whereas since Toby Booth's come back in, this club that I've supported since I was a, a wee, wee little bean is something I really am. And I would be really upset if they did go now or they did merge a feeling Absolutely. in a way I wouldn't have cared then. And it's that point that you reach as a fan where you stop caring or you it stops mattering is the most heartbreaking point. Yeah. And that's probably where a lot of Canada fans got to after, you know, by the time you hit that loss to Spain and by the time you hit that loss to the Netherlands, where it's just kind of a miserable thing you're putting yourself through rather than something you're passionate about. And if Canada never qualified for a World Cup again, it would hurt so much less than it would have, you think, a few years ago. And you wonder if people, like, end up moving on to other sports or whatever, where they can share with Canada. Yeah. Like, I I have so much respect for people like Derek Brissett, who we've had on the podcast, and Liz and stuff like that, that they are still so passionate about Canada, both the men's and women's team. Because it's mm. just like, it cannot be easy reporting on that. And the Toronto Arrows, like... The Toronto Arrows have been a big boom for that, I think. They're the real positive. Mm. In that there is something you can cheer for, and they're regular, and they're playing, you know, big competitive games, and they're competing. Yeah. Now they've signed Big Shane O'Leary. Oh, how do you stop Lovely them? Lovely bloke. How do you stop them? Yeah. Game management god Shane O'Leary. Absolutely. That was a text I once sent you when I was at a championship game, like, four years ago. <laughs> and it stuck. Anyway... So, the game today, Canada against Fiji. We've talked a lot about Canada there. Shall we look at the Fiji team first in order to level this out? Yeah, all right. Let's do that. It's bloody nice, this Fiji team. It's, it's a nice to look at. Team. Yeah, it's a really nice like team sheet to look at. And not to go all Deacon Manu and get all obsessed with sheets here, but... It is very, very nice. The back line in particular is lovely. Like, Moses Raluni as captain was really mm. good in the Japan game that we covered before. Nicky Little at 10 to kind of level things out and be like the tactician Nicky of the team. Nicky Little is such a weird point in that back line because they're all rapid ballers who love to play ridiculous offloading rugby. And then you've got Nicky Little, the Stephen Myler of Fiji, yes. shoved in the middle. But it, it's with, like a beautiful thing that just like controls the tempo, mm. you know, like if Nicky Little wasn't there, their heartbeats would all be at the point where they're permanently dead. But instead, Nicky Little keeps them just calm enough. You compare him to the recently like, sadly departed Stephen Myler, mm. who looks like he's just woken up, walked onto a rugby field and plays and plays really yes. well. Stephen Myler. Nicky Little, there is something about him where th- there's something of the kind of like, we spoke before about like fly halves with nice hair. His hair is so beautifully kept, Nicky Little. Oh, yeah. No matter yeah. how many big hits he takes, his hair still looks beautiful. Yes, saying Stephen Myler looked like he woke up, walked onto a rugby field and played and played really mm. well. Nicky Little looked like he woke up, walked onto a rugby field and played. <laughs> he. Was, I like Nicky Little. It's a rare thing where you can praise a player for taking pace out of the attack. 
Which is what Nicky Little did. Yes, because that—that's the whole thing with Fiji. Like it's such a cliche. Like that they play at a million miles an hour. They offload absolutely everything, and that's mm. so true of this Fiji team. And Nicky Little is almost by default their all-time greatest ten because yeah. he was the one who actually went. Oh, but you can do that. Like I will completely like join you in doing that. But also, I can do this thing where I put the ball on my foot and it goes miles. Have you seen that before? It's bloody kicking, isn't it? Yeah. I've heard of it. I heard that once in the 80s, there was another guy who could do it. Uh, You have my attention. He was a policeman officer. Yes. And he was In the Suva area, perchance. He was tall. He lived in the Suva area. And he went by one name. Three names. But he went by one name mostly. (laughs) It was bloody super boot. Bloody super boot. Can't wait to cover him again in 1991. <laughs> in like probably like five years' time, who knows? I love that guy. Good old Super Boot. Can we get him playing yeah. in this game? I mean, like we- Ratuva at fullback is pretty damn exciting, but he's not Super Boot, is he? He's not. Fiji make one change from the previous game. Mm-hmm. They bring in at tight head Junimu Raleomo. Otherwise, the same team. This does tie back though to something. I think kind of the extraordinary. Okay. Which is that their coach is Avasi Tabua, mm-hmm. who is a former Fiji player himself, was kind of primarily a sevens player, but had a year as a 15 specialist in 99, kind of played in the 99 World Cup, and then, you know, kind of went back to sevens, which is a very Fijian thing to do and good on him. Yeah. He coached them. So this is a whole situation here, right? So we talked about how good that Fiji team is to look at it, because it's just... I don't know if you want to run through some of the names in it, because it's extraordinary. Uh, yeah, yeah. Seru Rambeni, uh, mm. Villamoli De La Salle, who... Oh, man. Very brief tangent. Uh, like, De La Salle is this World Cups, and this will happen every series of this podcast, Fijian winger who I look at and go like, oh my God, yes, I get to finally see him play. Like, we had yes. it with Tomasi Tharma. We were lucky enough to watch Napoleon Lalanga live. Philomone De La Salle here, Rapini Thao in 2003, Noah Nandruku in 1995. The list is fucking endless. <laughs> it will never, ever stop. De La Salle was at Claremont at the time. Mm. They had, in order to keep him, paid like a wreck. One of the record kind of incredible, whatever the anti transfer fee is, because other teams have tried <laughs> to buy him out their contract. And he'd been, they've been like, no, we will give you a million dollars and a house to stay at Claremont. Oh, also, Akabuzi and Guerra and Sisuke Amabole in the back row as well are both ballers. Oh, it's an incredible team. It's, it's a so really, good. really great so team. So good. So, infamously, right, a year before this World Cup, Fiji looked in a pretty good place with their young, promising former policeman himself, Kiwi coach. Oh, I thought you were going to bring up Superboot. Oh, no, I'm bringing up your second favourite man, Wayne Pivak. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, end my life. (laughs) So, I can't believe the jump from Superboot to Wayne Pivak. So Wayne Pivak, long before he was a punchline in Wales, <laughs> and also like a you know Pro fourteen winning coach, yeah, and a great pundit <laughs> who Gabby Logan screamed at three times <laughs> once. Long before that, Wayne Pivak was a promising Auckland coach who got brought in by the Fiji Rugby Union to coach them. The funniest thing about this is I like Wayne Pivak. Yeah. So I mentioned this in passing a bit, right? Wayne Pivak. In 2006, almost got fat. Almost got fat? (laughs) 
I've stopped myself because I was about to say completely wrong word. Carry on. I was about to say fired, but I just went completely wrong. We went wrong. Wong. The Varnia Wong. <laughs> I went, I became a Varnia Wong for a moment, which was very inappropriate. So basically, right, Fiji had got absolutely battered by Australia A. Okay. They lost 80 points to nine to Australia A uh, under Wayne Pivak. And the Fijian Rugby Union were like, mate, you're dog shit, we should fire you. <laughs> Good old Wayne Pivak. However, the Fijian Rugby Union boss, who Is I've just looked at his name... going to finish with a physio bringing a weapon onto the field? <laughs> yeah, oh, I'll tell you what, there's something not a million miles away. <laughs> um, when Wayne Pivak wields his flamethrower in the post-match press conference because uh, somebody says that the referee had a good game. The, the Fijian Rugby Union's boss, who I I apologise, I've just seen his name here. I haven't practised saying it, and I'm not going to attempt it. Okay. It's extremely long, and I don't want to butcher it in the way I'm going to. Uh, but his first name is Kenny. Okay. So, K-E-N-I. So, I'm just going to call him Kenny, if that's okay. Absolutely. Daka Durarekateni? Good Maybe. effort. Good effort. We'll go with that. Maybe just call him Kenny from uh, now on. Because that's yeah. The other thing is you've got to kind of put the like invisible ends into Fijian yeah, names. Yeah. And, so and we yeah, as people whatever. from the UK aren't very good at that, unfortunately. I it takes practice and memorization it does. It does. rather than one blind attempt. Yes, which is something I, I know I need to get better at. And I'm trying to you know absolutely. We, learn, we all but sometimes do. you slip up when reading the script yes. out or trying to do it under time pressure and everything. Anyway, basically. He said he was going to fight Wayne Pivak, then he brought him in to have a chat with him, and Wayne Pivak talked him around to staying. He's a nice guy, is Wayne Pivak. Yeah, he said that, you know, he had a lengthy discussion with Wayne, and we changed our mind and decided he would remain head coach. <laughs> that happens with Kingsley Jones every week. Yeah. I'm going to finally fire him this time. However, right, they added one note, one condition for Wayne Pivak remaining Fiji coach, right? Which is that once a month he needs to present the board with a written report or a presentation to outline what's happening as they build towards the World Cup. So they just like, once a month Wayne Pivak had to come in to a, like he had to fly over to Fiji from bloody New Zealand, get in and do a PowerPoint on how Fiji are getting better in this last month. That's incredible. We actually we actually lost by one less point to Samoa this this year, so uh, that, that's that's my first slide out of the way. Any questions on that slide? No. Okay, slide two. We only lost by sixty four points to the All, the All Blacks last time we played them. It was eighty. Some people may perceive that as an upset. <laughs> See, to me, the most infamous when Pivac quote is referring to Joy Neville, someone that's refereed the World Cup final as an inexperienced referee, which is insane. But I I think saying that Italy losing to Italy in Georgia is something that some may perceive as an upset. That's a classic is, in the PVAC quote book. That maybe overtakes them. I really want to see this PowerPoint. I really want, <laughs> I I want to know. Once like, a month. I, yes, pre- but like a lot of that was pre-season or when they were like with their clubs. What's he doing in that I time? want to know like what font he used. What like yes. layout? Did he use slide animations? Uh, I want to know if you used, like, pictures to make it pretty mm. on the slides. Like, we're a lot fitter. And then a picture of, like, you know, Akapuzi and Gera hanging out his ass. you know. I want I want to see that. I want to know if that happened. If, like, oh, we actually have a higher tackle completion rate in training. And there's a picture of, like, Sunia Kotto lay on the floor. I want to, I want to know if this happened. So, 
That was in August 2006. Okay. okay? In January 2007, Wayne Pivak quits as Fiji coach, <laughs> citing family reasons. Okay. So we made the decision at question time, question time, Christmas time, when I was home, that the best thing for the family was for me to return. Okay. At fair the end enough. of the day, it hasn't really worked out with my family because he was having to go in and constantly, always keep giving these presentations. Like he was away from his family so he could give PowerPoints all the time. He also talked about how the biggest frustration, one of the other factors, was the fact that he felt he'd built a really good squad, but we hadn't been able to see them together because they weren't getting released from their squads, their clubs at the same time. That's a frustration I completely empathise with. Yeah, it's a frustration for every coach, not just in Fiji, but the Pacific Nations faces. We don't have the funding to contract a player on the level they do in the MPC, let alone Super 14 or these clubs in Europe. It's really sad that that's still an issue today for a lot of Pacific Island nations and stuff like mm. Nemanja Nandolo getting offered a fee to retire from internationals at the 2019 yeah. World Cup obviously he's come back now but like he didn't go to that World Cup as one of the best wingers in the world mm. because you know he simply had to do it for financial reasons to retain a contract at his club you know it's awful that stuff like this still yeah. happens absolutely yes no it's horrible Pivak then said weirdly in his leaving press conference they asked him, who do you think will take over or whatever? And he said, oh, it'll probably be E.P. Takawe or Evisa Tabua, who was the coach that eventually got it. He just threw out two names. He's <laughs> like, it'll probably be one of these guys. Oh, Wayne. At least he's learned how to not answer questions in the last sort of yeah. 15 years. Like, somebody clearly said to him there, just like, okay, Wayne, like, I know that you're you're a good, honest, humble man, but in future, just don't answer questions in the press conference, okay? Just dodge them all. And clearly, he's got the hang of that. So, well done to him. Do you think that's what happened in Wales? That's why Wayne Pivak came back. Was they just asked him, like, who do you think will come back? And he was like, oh, it'll probably be bloody Gatlin, won't it? I'm sick of hearing his name. And they're like, oh, it's, we've got to make it's Gatlin quite now. a good idea, actually. Yeah. It's a great idea. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> How do you think they'll do in the Six Nations, Wayne? <laughs> So in for him comes Ilavasi Tabua, right? Takes over as coach, comes in for this World Cup, is a local Fiji and very much builds this up as being, you know, the kind of get Fiji back their roots, all of that kind of stuff. Get it away from bloody Wayne Ball that they've been playing. <laughs> and he comes in, however, right, with that being his whole take before the World Cup. Then in the lead up to this game against Canada, he says he gives a press conference Right, on the Monday before the game. Tambua, 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 yeah. Between the Japan game and the Canada game. He says, for everybody in Fiji, it's popular to run with the ball and not fight hard for it. Okay. Okay. I think the perception is that running with the ball is the thing, rather than being the tough man who works for the ball. This sounds like a 1987 coach. It does a bit. However, he then says, what we really want to do in order to beat Canada is really attack them in the scrum. Okay. And then asked about this, he says, yes, we've been working on sharpening our scrummaging technique. For us, it's about the body shape, getting ourselves into the body shape to effectively generate force. That is the understanding we're aiming for. It's harder when you have to do it at this age group rather than at an age group further down, but it's moving. That's kind of strange that there are international players who will have gone he, into a scrum and gone like, sorry, I was too high in that one. Yeah, well, he's So he's said... The real strength, what we really want to target this week, is going at Canada in the scrum. We've only just learned you're supposed to get lower in the scrum. (laughs) 
we think that's going to really help it's revolutionising us. us. Hopefully they've not realised that. Rod Snow on his 90th cap. Yeah. Canada, on the other hand, you know, they're big boy. I believe that's what you call the coach. Mm-hmm. Do you call them big boys? Yeah, I do, personally. Yeah, I do as well. Rick Suggett, who is, of course, himself a hero, I believe. But no, we talked about this. No, died a couple of years ago. Was like much beloved yes. in Canada. Extremely passionate um, man, which we like yes. to see. He very much went into this game saying, we're aiming to make the knockouts. We want to win the next two games. Good lad. Uh, which included beating Australia, but he wasn't letting that put him off at all. Yeah, good for oh, him. No, probably that in Japan, that in Japan, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, beating Japan and very much saying like that can put us in a position where we can potentially get out of the group. I like that though. I like that though. He's ambitious and yeah. it's good to see him kind of reaching as high as he possibly can and Canada played well here. Like You compare that to bloody, not to go back to him, but Canada nowadays being happy to scrape past the Netherlands. Yeah. But, Huge yeah. contrast. That. And you know what? Let's give Australia a go. They gave Wales a bloody good game in this tournament. Yep. We covered with Luke. Look, I'm going to cut the chase. Ilavasi Tabua, he gets fired about 18 months after this World Cup. Okay. The headline in the Fiji Sun was just, Fiji coach sacked for booze. Okay, okay. So details on this seem pretty light, and a lot of the articles around it from the time have been taken down now. But during the 2009 Pacific Nations Cup campaign, from what we understand, Tabua was, who was known in his playing career as the human skewer for the way he tackled, was guilty of serious misconduct and was apparently basically drunk most of the time oh my during their campaign. God. We don't know what he did because they refer to it as being... The incident was serious enough to warrant a, ter- a permanent termination. Oh, Jesus Christ. So he clearly did something. Ran on the pitch with a weapon to attack a referee. Yes. That's what I choose to believe. It was a weapon. He got his machete out. But it talked about, more specifically, it occurred during a tournament which the team had rules that specifically prohibited alcohol consumption. It's like a reverse Finn and Gregor situation. <laughs> where the team had told him not to get drunk oh, and he'd Jesus gone and done Christ. it anyway. At that point, you can't win. Like, no, you can't come out of that positively. So he was fired. All of that kind of sidles downhill. But there was very much, this was the sweet spot between Wayne Pivak leaving and him coming in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. So it's a weird situation that Fiji don't realise they're in the middle of. They don't realise they're in the middle of losing two coaches in quite quick succession. That's mad. But they're very much in the sweet spot there. Canada. Canada. Should we look at their starting 15 then? Yes. So, again, it's a really good 15, again. Like, yes. Of good kind of cult players, you know? I, yeah. I think it's a good 15 of players that we would enjoy, and therefore people who listen to this kind of stupid podcast would enjoy. Morgan Williams retains the captaincy at number nine. Two scrum arms as captain. Yeah, yeah. Rarely happens. Rarely happens. In the pack, they've got, yeah, Rod Snow, who is, again, a really oh, good, man. I would say, cult player, I think... Yeah, agreed. I really like Rod Snow. I think he was excellent in this game as well. And spent a long time at Newport and then the Dragons. Yeah. He was, what, like 36, 37 in this World Cup? Been going on for absolutely ages. And was just one of those, I would say, really simple players where you don't ask him to do a big looping mispass. You ask him to run with the ball, you ask him to hit people, and you ask him to scrummage. And they are his jobs. He will do all of them very efficiently. And I like him for that. Yep. He won his first cap in the amateur era. Wow. You know, like he's he's that level of prop. He was still going internationally in 2007. Didn't retire from rugby until 2012. Yeah. Wow. Wow. 
Rod Snow, what a character. A big, big what a fan character. of his. Would... Alongside Pat Reardon, who I love as well. Yeah. Didn't have a beard Went in on this to captain Cup, them, which is weird. Yeah. Went on to captain them a bit after this as well. Yeah. Was a fantastic player. Yeah. Good kind of nuts and bolts hooker, to use a cliche. Yeah. You know, would hit his man on the line out. Would make some really dominant hits, was kind of his selling yeah. point. Just generally hitting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. They have Mike James in the second row, who is such a second team lock. I really yes. like him because his job is to just be massive. And whenever his team screw up, to just say to everybody, come on, let's hit him harder. Come on, let's get at him. Let's go. Let's get off the line, you know? And we do all of those, like, things about aggression and physicality. And I mm. love that. I think that's really necessary yeah, in yeah, any yeah. team of any level. Alongside Cornish Pirates legend Mike Burak in the oh, second really? row. I, 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 I'm not familiar with him. They moved Jamie Cudmore into six to mm. accommodate the double hard man called Mike combo. <laughs> yes. They could have started Mike Pletch as well, which oh, is a shame. Because then they could have had triple hard man called Mike. Yeah. Move over Cudmore. So in the back line, they drop Ander Munro, the Titanium 10, to the oh, bench. It's gutting. Which is such a shame. They have Ryan Smith move into 10. I say move into 10. He was a 10 at this point. In 2011, we covered him when in his second life, where he was a 12, with Culpin and Spicer, who were both players I'd never heard of before we covered that Wales Canada game, and I really liked both of them. Dave Spicer? What a player, though. Yeah. Big left Dave boot Spicer, on him. very much the Tavish spike of his time. Yes, yes. Spike McTavish, you mean. Spike McTavish. Yeah. Just the final note on Dave Spicer. Mm that he had infamously, a few days before the first game, as Rick Suggett referred to it, gone to the bottle. Oh. By which he meant... No, by which he meant bleached his hair very suddenly. Oh. (laughs) Not in the Tambua way. (laughs) I thought you meant he was, like, downing bottles of whiskey before kick-off and just going, don't worry, fellas, I'm going to absolutely school you. No, he was... A very um one of those centres that clearly <laughs> really you glance at him once and you're like Yes. You glance at him once and you're like, Oh, he'll be like a skillful, like floaty player who like loves to play the ball and stuff. Mm. And you see him play like, Oh no, he's violent. Yeah, yeah, he, he's violent and has a massive boot and that's it. Yeah. That's that's all he does. Runs hard lines. Brilliant. Got a top 14 contract off the back of this World Cup Good as well. man. Good man. Was it from a lower team that was going to end up playing in the Premier Yeah. Yeah. Orch Gers, who'd just been promoted that season, signed him. <laughs> he played for them for a couple of years. So naturally, he did play in the Pro Dido, right? Yeah, Good yeah, man. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. They then got relegated, have never been back up since. <laughs> yes. I love that because... I can only They've imagine been... if you are a Pro Day Dove coach, you will watch this game and go, yeah, he's the lad we could do with. <laughs> like, he's the number one player <laughs> yeah. we want to sign here. Forget <laughs> Telasa, we want him. This player that w- looks like he wants to be skillful, but instead is just a violent man like, with bleached blonde hair. It's perfect. He's got bleached hair. He's going to be a target to all of the really violent packs <laughs> in this Pro Day Dove. They're all going to want to murder him. It's perfect. This is... A delight. They've been up to the top 14 three times. Once in 1948, once in 2005, and then once in 2007 off the back of this World Cup. That man had two positions. Centre and sacrificial lamb. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Oh, man. Okay, here's another thing, though. Bloody Gregory Aldrin started there. Did he? So did Anthony Jalanche. Whoa. Whoa. 
what a back row they could have had yeah. if he'd only kept hold of the players. And if they had they a could have, six. Maybe, maybe Gregory Audrey grew up watching Dave Spicer. <laughs> I reckon he did. And yeah, and he's probably beneath that scrum cap that he never removes, got bleached hair. Yeah, definitely. DTH under Murphy on the wing? Yes. Goes and on to be a world class player. On the, the other, other wing, James Pritchard, one of the most reliable him. players in the history of Tier 2 rugby, I think. Yes, yes. And not only most reliable, but best. Like, yeah. he's just he's just fantastic. Like, I don't think there is one skill that's required of a back three player that you could say he's bad at. Yeah. Which I really he's like about him. The player I'm hoping that Santiago Villafella is on his way to becoming. Yes. In that he is a very reliable goal-kicking wing come fullback who just all his skills are excellent yeah remember and the VFL is 22 head of this world cup yeah but yeah like oh santiago vfella the yeah chile winger or fullback phenomenal player very young but like if he can continue out the trajectory he's been on the last two years he's going to be like he's in such a position that he could retire as maybe their best player of all time you never know. You, you know, never like know. He's, he's four or five years younger than Rodrigo Fernandez, who's kind of their first ever big superstar. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think he's phenomenal. But, yeah. right, can we talk about the fullback for Canada? We certainly can talk about Mike Pike, the fullback, which sounds like <laughs> a children's Mike. book. Yeah. <laughs> so we also had on commentary, right, for this game, Miles Harrison and Stuart Barnes. I was delighted to hear them both. That was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, and like... Say what we want about Stuart Barnes, because nowadays he comes up with some ropey opinions, right? But in this era of rugby, he was such a brilliant commentator. I Can I say something very specific about Stuart Barnes? Yes. I like everything but Stuart Barnes' opinions about him. <laughs> I like the vibe of like what he's doing. I like what he's trying to be. I like the way that he takes this seriously as a kind of journalistic mm. pursuit. He commentates like as though he was a journalist, even though he's a you know former fly half and international himself. Yes. And that is how he approaches the sport. I like the very kind of slow, articulate, very factful and very well-informed manner. I like the research he does. Yeah, his vocabulary is very good. Yes, without ever feeling like he's trying to show off about it. Yeah. He's not one of these... You sometimes come across people in rugby union and people may level it with myself who are trying to show off how smart they are and you're like, oh, shut up. Yeah, shut up. Particularly to me. Yeah, you. Shut up, fool. But I also like that, like... When he only ever strays into cliche when it's necessary. He has a yes. really good sense of that. Yes. And he's someone who I think has a kind of innate feeling about the game mm. that he's very good at expressing. Definitely. And he has a sense of when something is right or wrong for him and he will express it correctly. The only thing I don't like about him is his opinions. Yeah, he does have a lot of shit ones of those. <laughs> he will just sometimes come up with like a mad, insane take of like, oh, did you hear that I think Chris Robshaw would have made a great fly half? And you're like, what? <laughs> no. Or he'll be like, oh, Richie McCall was a wasted talent. He'd be like, how, how can you say that? <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be better if the game, if we went ahead and we fired all head coaches and put the tight end prop in charge? He's actually said that, though, is the He thing. said we should fire all analysts. Yeah, and defence coaches as well, I think. And defence coaches, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bizarre take. But I do really love Harrison and Barnes on this. I think yeah. they're a good double act, first and foremost. That's the thing. They're... They both approach both of these teams like they're star-studded, which is this great. Is... Like they yeah. talk up Mike Pike like he's a huge name player, and like they let the people at home catch up with that, which is the, exactly the way I want Tier Two rugby to be presented. 
Absolutely. That was the point I was going to make. And this is something generational that I think there's a lot of people listening to the podcast that are younger or notably older who may not have the same feeling. But when I hear Miles Harrison and Stuart Barnes together, my brain goes, oh, it's the big game. Yes. Because yes. on Sky Sports every week, they'd have like how many other games of Premiership Rugby or of especially on Hiding Cup weekends. And the biggest game of the weekend always went to Miles Harrison and Stuart Barnes. Yeah, they did the and Lions the same, games. They did Lions tours. They did the biggest European games. They, they did the finals. The internationals on Sky. Like Yeah. And so there was something of like every now and again, you know, like an Ospreys game would get to be the big game on Sky. Yeah. That would be the game that Miles Harrison and Stuart Barnes were commentating on. And it was almost always Munster or Leicester Tigers they were commentating yes. on. Yes. But, you know, you kind of got into that and he was like, oh, this is the big one this week. Like you felt kind of honoured to be have them talk about it. And they approached all of those teams as though they knew them inside out, as though he'd watched them constantly. And they clearly had done enough research to be able to present that. Absolutely. You know, like I don't necessarily believe that they'd gone and watched every calendar game for five years back, but they'd done enough research that it sounded like they had. That's it. And like, what, one thing I love about Miles Harrison to this day, I think I've spoken about this a, a lot. We've of spoken about this a lot. Yeah. But like, there's something when he commentates on tier two teams where mm. Every player, he picks out a thing he likes about them. What's their yes. thing as a player? Is it that they're a fantastic, balletic line-out forward? Is it they have a fantastic sidestep on them? Is it that they can pass off both sides? There is a thing that he will pick out about every player that he will mm. say, oh, isn't it brilliant, you know, that we get to come here and watch Isaiah Naivua and his strong running down the wing or whatever it is. Like, there is a thing that he will attribute to each player, yeah. which makes it feel like such a special occasion that we get to watch them they commentated on this game in exactly the same way as they would have if it was new zealand and south africa yeah and that is the thing i loved about it it's a joy and occasionally there was a line of them explaining who one player was or another but yeah. it wasn't in a patronizing way no it was in a we're catching you up in the it same way nick mullins will do when he's talking about the england team on itv yes you know knowing there's a bigger audience there than watches the premiership every absolutely week. and he can go well alex mitchell was a quicker nippier scrum half place from northampton yeah. you know it was that kind of explanation that kind of catch up for a, a wider audience and yeah i thought they were fantastic and they also gave i think my favorite line of commentary in a very long time from one mr myers harrison He's a good boy, Mike Pike, the Canadian fullback. Dog on the pitch! <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? Because I, I love that. I rewound it. I had listened to it a few times, made sure that's definitely what he said. He said, he's a good boy, Mike Pike, the Canadian boy. fullback, which presents three possible possibilities, right? One, Mike Pike is Miles Harrison's son. <laughs> Two, Mike Pike... <laughs> I, I like that theory because it's like it's like he's trying to hide that it's his son by changing his yeah. name. It's like, oh yeah, so this guy Mike, who I don't know. All right, yeah, what's his surname? Uh, Pike. <laughs> it's definitely the case, right? He just didn't want to be caught up as a nepotism. Yeah, because that's definitely how it works. You get into you get a career as the Canadian fullback purely if Miles Harrison's your dad. What's his middle name? Pike. <laughs> I accidentally wrote Mike Pike at one point in my notes. So Mike Pike, I like the, Mike. He's Pike. a good boy. I like Mike Pike. He is good. He's good at being a boy. The other right, other theory two, he is a dog. <laughs> I will not. And there was it with his... indeed a dog on the pitch. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll... That opens up an awful lot of a. Uh, rabbit holes which dogs may peer their heads down as they're going for their walkies but you look at him play right he is deceptively big 
far quicker than he should be. He loves chasing balls. He's not very good at putting them down. I think there's there could be some evidence to this. I think there's a possibility that Canadian fullback Mike Pike is a dog. Is a woofer. Yeah, it's entirely possible. We just need to hope that in their game against Japan, at some point someone says walkies and then we'll get confirmation whether his tail starts <laughs> wagging. But the third option, right, is just that he is a really good boy and you can't deny it. Like, there's no way of getting around it. He's just a good boy. What are all of the qualities of a boy? He's good at being, them. Yeah, he's good at, he's really good at being a boy. Yeah. So Mike Pike as well had a, fascinating life but should we get into a different episode because we've talked around an awful lot of stuff so far sure okay we'll leave that as a cliffhanger for the next calendar game i really hope he plays in the next calendar game me too i think yeah he yes he does yeah, he does okay, he does. He okay we'll save that back okay i'm excited to hear about the mike pike law and that will help good us boy, discover whether he is miles harrison's son a dog or indeed just a good boy <laughs> yes keep on this cliffhanger yeah okay so Let's get to the kickoff. Let's get to the kickoff. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's interesting because we get one minute into the game before I know how just how <laughs> abhorrently slow Canada's ruck ball is. But both teams is. Neither mm. team is very keen on the breakdown as a facet of play. No. Yeah. Until the opposition has the ball, in which case they go, oh yeah, I get to be a bastard now. Like I get to just like, yeah, yeah. just really piss them off and just slow this down. So clearly, neither team had practiced clearing out their own rucks in the week, but both had practiced counter-rucking, uh, which I kind of yes. like as an approach. Well, Fiji spent all their time on that scrum work that hadn't worked. That's true. That's true. They've been finding out what a scrum is. Like, if we put eight people in... <laughs> But yeah, Canada have like an early attack where they kind of go back and forth, left and right, until they eventually find Rod Snow on the wing. And here's the thing. Who else would you ever want on the wing? But you're absolutely enormous and not in an athletic way (laughs) prop in his mid-30s. Yeah, but to be fair, they do benefit from it because De La Salle does a high tackle on him. Because famously, if you come oh, up against Rod the... Snow, yeah, Rod Snow gets on the outside of someone and puts an offload in. Yeah, yeah, it's De La like, Salle, they almost mate. score off this. Yeah, De La Salle he gets on the outside outside of Seven's legend De, De La Salle, and yeah, throws it behind his back, backhanded. It's fantastic, and yeah, famously for De La Salle, like if you've got a bigger man running at you, you go high to smash him into touch. <laughs> yes. And to be fair, like well, he gets head... really good contact because he's De La Salle. Hey, he's huge. 
you know what they say, everyone's head's the same size. It's true, it's true. And he literally wraps his arms around his head. Like, yeah. Uh, it's a really weird tackle technique. And you can't go anywhere without his neck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And obviously, kind of get a penalty from it. And can we just have a moment for this? Because we often take these for granted on penalties. James Pritchard's touchline penalty is fantastic. so good. But we've talked about James Pritchard a lot in the 2011 series, mm. right? As a player who could have played Premiership or Top 14 rugby if he wanted to. But he got his first contract off from Bedford Blues and he loved it there. And he stayed yes. there for as long as he could. And became maybe one of the greatest legends in the history of that club. Yeah. Like one of the most beloved and championship rugby players generally, in, yeah. Yeah. Was just like eternally, eternally loved at Bedford Blues. Just phenomenal player there. And you look at like... Like, if you were to name an all-time Bedford Blues, like, team, right, it's probably him and Rory Underwood are your winners, you <laughs> yes. know? Like, it's it's they're squeezing in together. Paul Sackey isn't getting into the team. Yeah. Sorry, George Perkins. <laughs> but yeah, and his goal-kicking percentage, and this is the other thing, we talk about the Harrison and Barnes thing, they really talk him up as, like, one of the highest percentage kickers in the tournament. Yes. Correctly, as they should. Yes. Because he is. He's, like, a 90% goal-kicker. Yeah, and... As you say, like putting him on the podium with Dan Carter is, I think, really necessary and great. And yeah, he nails that penalty from the touchline, which is brilliant. And then you're right, as he's jogging back, they, they talk him up, which is absolutely deserved. But do you notice when Fiji took the kickoff after this penalty, in mm. the commentary box, you can hear a phone start ringing? No. What I can only assume is Stuart Barnes's phone starts ringing. And I'm wondering who could possibly be phoning him four do minutes you... into a test match. Do you think. Stuart Barnes is actually, as we hear on commentary, this very astute guy who is very plugged into rugby union and understands it inside out. And then he's got a little goblin that rings him up every so often and goes, <laughs> Why don't you say that Jack Willis would make a great winger for Spain? And he'll be like, Jack Willis will make a great winger for Spain. And I'll be like, who's Jack Willis? Like, oh, this 11-year-old kid who's going to play for England in a few years' time. <laughs> I can't believe the rugby goblin just made his appearance on the podcast. <laughs> He's, he made a rare phone call to me instead of Stuart Barnes. Yeah. And told me to tweet that thing about Ireland being jammy at the weekend. He does this sometimes. The rugby goblin comes back. The thing is, right, with Stuart Barnes, I imagine he does always remember to turn his phone off before he goes into a commentary box. But I just imagine this is the one time he forgot and somebody happened to phone him up. Nightmare. It's 2007 as well, so it would have been like a brick phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was just like, like the first iPhone was released that year, and I doubt Stuart Bones, Stuart Bones, <laughs> Stuart Barnes had one. Yeah. Do you think Stuart Barnes? No way is he an early adopter of Apple tech. Like he's probably just got an iPad. Yeah, yeah. I reckon he's like a Nokia brick type guy. Yeah, like he's he's probably now got like a Samsung that his daughter got him. You he know, writes for the Guardian on a typewriter. You know, definitely. Def. He's definitely into typewriters. Yeah. We can say that for certain. Yeah. Fiji take the kickoff. There's a bit of playing around. I mean, Nicky Little gets a penalty. There's a bit of playing around. It's rugby, isn't it? We've done an hour of this podcast just talking around these teams. We get to the game itself and we say, yeah, there's a bit of playing around. I was actually trying to remember how that penalty came about. Then I remembered it was because Biddle won a turnover and then kind of cleared it and Biddle himself was offside on the clearance. Would you rather I explained that really good story, or would you rather I said it was a bit of playing Biddle. around? I'd rather you just said Biddle six times. Okay, Biddle, Biddle, because Biddle, it's Biddle, a good Biddle, Biddle. name, good Pokemon. Uh, DTH Van der Murphy makes a hell of a tackle as well on the kickoff. Yeah, 
Like, because yeah. this is early in the DTH Van der Merwe kind of lore, yes. as it were. You know, he'd only just emerged. He'd made, won his first cap for calendar a year earlier. He would sign for Saracens off the back of this World Cup. And then off the back of that, go to Glasgow, where he kind of made his name very much so. That kind of was his big kickoff, as it were, in his career. Went on to become a proper cult hero in Glasgow. Yeah, and with the Scarlets and Geltinis. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's on Sokawa, briefly the, Newcastle. the blind side flanker. That he makes mm. that huge shot on, like a significantly bigger man, uh, who he absolutely but nails. To say we haven't seen the kind of stardust and finishing prowess that he would go on to boast, he's still been so impressive in these first two games. Yes, yes. he still stands out as a proper Test match player. Yeah, 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 yeah. With a lot of potential, which yes. thankfully does get realised later in his career, which is great. Very mm. reassuring watching this back. Also, notably on that kickoff when so after Little's penalty, then. Yeah, there's that kickoff where Van der Merwe puts that huge shot on. Mm. The phone starts ringing again. <laughs> the goblin's back. The goblin's here to make it to, Tell to make another hot take. That Mike Pike is a good boy. Uh, Miles, Miles, um, uh, I just want to uh, run this Stuart. by you uh, off uh, off off air. Um, do you, what do you think? Of, do you think Mike Mike Pike's um, bad or do you think he's good? Because I think he's a uh, quite a good boy. He's been beautifully behaved at home, Stuart. Okay, okay. You know this. Has he, has he been... Um, uh, he's not weed in the house at any point, has he? He's been beautifully behaved at home, Stuart. Stuart, you've been there. You've been there, honey. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true, actually. But um, you tend to look after him uh, a bit more than I do, because, after all, he is your property. Property? Are you going to refer to our... Dog, son, <laughs> good boy. As our property, Stuart. Uh, yeah. Um, he belongs to us, is uh what I mean. And but more to the point, you're the one who wanted him. <laughs> Stuart, we're not having this conversation again, especially not while there's a game going on. No, that's a good point. We should probably get back to commentating in a minute because you're forgetting to commentate, Stuart. Yeah, but. Uh, I just wanted to say that he's a good boy and you should probably bring it up on commentary because um, the rest of the boy. family might be listening. No, you're, you're right, you're right. I should bring up these. What's for boy. dinner? We'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, Stuart. Okay, at half can't, time. We can't, do this every t- we can't do this every time. Okay. Um, we, we might just pick something up on the way back through Cardiff. Okay, you know okay. what I would pick up? What? I would pick what? Jack Willis on the wing for Spain. Who, who's Jack Willis? He's like an eleven-year-old who's going to play for England one day. Right. Okay. Well, look. It doesn't matter. We've got to get back to this commentary. Okay. Akapusi and Guerra has just made a clean break. Oh yes, that's really good by Akapusi and Guerra. So that was really pretty much what happened yeah. um, in the game. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Um, Mike Pike is. As well as being a very, very good boy, mm. he is also a very, very good rugby player, I think. <laughs> I like him. The thing is, what happens on every counter-attack? You know that, that cliche of like, oh yeah, this fullback always beats the first man? Yeah. He literally never beats the first man. And he always makes a line break off it. Somebody twats him <laughs> to the ground and he does gets up off of the this. floor and then runs another 20 metres because someone assumes he's over there. Like, he's such a bizarre player. But he's like... <sighs> Sometimes when you look at a player who is like diminutive and quick at fullback, and you're like, "Oh, he must be a great counter attacker." Yeah. Or you look at a player like a 
like he kind of feels like he should have come around in this era we were going through a few years ago where we had a phase of really big fullbacks that's weirdly finished far sooner than I thought it was going to. Mm. Or Freddie Stewart came through, Stuart Hogg put on a lot of weight. You had plenty of those kind of far bigger fullbacks came through or bigger players got moved to fullback. There were big wingers and so on. He looks like he came through in that era. He was kind of Candace's answer to that. Except he wasn't. He happened 15 years ago. He just happened to be there. <laughs> And you look at him, you're like, oh, he must be like a really like physical counterattack. He's none of that. He's not the player you assume he's going to be. But he's like an obsessive counterattacker. He just loves it. Sometimes he will just kick it and you'll be like, either that kick looked, but oh, it's worked. Yes. Or it will be the opposite. And you'll be like, oh, what a kick by Mike. Pa- oh, okay. He's, it's gone one meter in touch. There's one brilliant kick he puts in later on, which looks really flukish. Where hmm. he sends it miles downfield, and Naivua has to like volley it back to him. Yes, which is so weird, and it's just like that's worked, but how? Towards the end of the first half, there's a like really excellent moment of him having to run it out from his own goal line, hmm. where he somehow managed to beat two players behind his own goal line, run it out, and kick it. And you're like, he's done a phenomenal job there. Then you realise he kicked out basically in line with where he was. <laughs> yeah, but it's fine because he's Mike Pike and he's a good boy. He's Mike Pike. He's such a good boy. Yeah, it's there's a very strange bit in the first half where Mike Pike suddenly comes into the game and makes like four mm. line breaks, and on all of them you think like the camera doesn't even follow him because they think if he's been smashing his own twenty-two, you know. He's just a hell of a player. Yeah. One thing we haven't mentioned at all as well is, as well as Harrison and Barnes, the other Englishman adding to this game is the referee Tony Spreadbury. Spreaders is back already. I'll tell you what though. There's nothing quite as exciting as seeing Tony Spreadbury call over Jamie Cudmore. <laughs> like, there should be, like, a Mortal Kombat versus come down as those two walk towards each other. A whole jury come battle. to watch. Yeah. Spread just reaches into his pocket and the words, finish him, come up. Oh, it's great. Spreadis isn't quite as involved as it was in the previous game, but no. there's something great about him telling Fijians like, oh, don't worry about it, fellas. There's one really funny point where um, he resets a scrum and then in extremely Canadian fashion, Rod Snow goes up and apologises <laughs> to him and Spreadis just kind of goes, oh, don't worry about it. It's not a penalty against you. Like, that's <laughs> when you should be saying sorry. Don't you worry yeah. about it, son. <laughs> He says, that's okay. And then there's a moment of thinking that he kind of stops the scrum setting to lean in and go, didn't give a penalty against you, did I? And Rosner's like, no, you didn't, sir. <laughs> it's great. It's great. That is how you endear yourself to a referee, not turning to the linesman and complaining about hinging. <laughs> Sorry for making you reset the scrum, sir. I want to play as well. I also enjoyed Spreader's ongoing commentary about the speed of ball. if someone wasn't rolling away he was there going like no we want quick ball today and whenever he'd like give a scrum as a ruck's unplayable he would always say like ah it's extremely slow ball there Uh, we want to speed this up remember I like that he sometimes will give an unplayable ball out of spite yes like there's one bit where a Fijian player has gone over the ball and he's gone beyond the ball his hands are on the floor but he's gone in for the jackal and a lot of referees would give it as penalty one way or the other mm. I've seen those go either way yeah. and Spreaders just gives it as a scrum because it slowed the ball down he's like, I want to watch where that, was att- that attack was going I don't care he's isolated himself 
Yeah, entirely neutral outcome. They're still having yeah. the ball. I'm not going to penalise you, but yeah, I'm, I was just curious, and you now killed that, so I hope you're proud of yourself. Good old spreaders. I love that guy. Good old spreaders. What a man. There's a point where I just have written down, fuck me, Rotuvo can move. Oh, he comes into the line we... for the first time. And you know that thing in 1987 where it was just impossible to defend fullbacks coming into the line? Yeah. Imagine if they had Kameli Rotuvu. The speed we haven't mentioned Rotuvu at all so far. And that feels like a crime. He is so because exciting. He is ridiculous. Yeah. The, the fact that he throws... So he comes into the line, and then he's got De La Salle outside him, and he throws this mm. lovely dummy to him, and changes direction. And it's really weird, because it looks like throwing the dummy, the momentum of his hands there has somehow sped him up. It's a weird thing to try and explain, but he weaves mm. inside and outside, and like turns like three players inside out all at the same time, and just... God, he's such an amazing, mazy runner. Yeah, he was at Saracens at this point, where he had been for about a year and would go on to play for another few years and he was just such a proper thrilling player you know yeah. like he was such a joy to watch yeah. and it was this you know like Mark Harrison makes a point in commentary that he's normally used as a winger for Saracens but they put him at fullback here and that does the classic thing that everyone assumes happens with fullbacks that isn't always the case mm. where they get more space and he is actually getting time to weigh up his counterattacks and make these like long runs from deep. Yeah, and he's so excited. It's always watch a threat doing it. every single yeah. time, and it's great. And like, don't get me wrong, he doesn't have much of a kicking game, but like, mm. it's probably similar to someone like Angie Capozzo these days. Like the mm. way he changes direction and it's just so smooth every time he joins an attack. And God, he's just so exciting. I love him. I mean, the thing I have written in my notes after he makes a break that leads to the first try is Rotuvu lets Vuvu. Nice, much nice. like the the infamous commentary on the infamous try from last year. Yes, he is ridiculous. There's a beautiful moment in this first half where, again, this is a this is a highlight of the game, where Fiji run this really beautiful move with loads of like offloading and like everyone getting together, and they get up to him five meters of line, and Rotuvu's made this beautiful like searing break to get on the end of it. And Mike Pike, the glorious boy for it is he, has just about caught up and being such a good boy, he makes the tackle. And Rotuvu goes with that thing that you see Fijian Sevens players do all the time, where they throw a blind offload <laughs> out the back, just like to hang in the air for one of his teammates to run onto and score. Except he hasn't looked around because they never do in that situation. <laughs> and nobody is anywhere remotely close to him to take it. And it's funny because I realise I've never seen that happen before, but I've seen so many Fijians throw blind backhand offloads and I, they always go to hand. It's fine in sevens because the ball can bounce and no one will pounce on it, you know? Yeah. That's and fine. So... That rhymes weirdly, like Mike Pike. But yeah, you're right. Like That doesn't happen in 15-a-side rugby. No, I've never seen Fijian get called out on on their weird random out-the-back passes. Like, usually at least a Fijian player knocks it on. Yeah. Yeah, no, you make you make a very good point. But it's very telling of just how much the Fijian kind of attacking game is now a thing. That mm. James Pritchard had struck a couple of penalties, you know, and this was very much like, you know, Canada are doing their thing of grinding up field and finding penalty opportunities and so on. And then when Fiji get going, they're just exhilarating. Canada are totally on top for the first 15 minutes yeah. and yet the score is 3-3. Yeah. 
they just can't break through at all. No, it's this complete inability to take the chances. And hence, they, they do kick their goals when they're given penalties. But spreaders is not penalising Fiji for half of the things they're doing. No. And Fiji are not being as indisciplined as some might expect. And there's just this total inability for them to just grind further. Yeah. And it's not that Fiji are turning them over. It's that Canada keep making odd mistakes when they try and be overambitious there. And look, if they had Adam Monroe to hit some drop goals like he did in the 2011 World Cup, maybe things could have been different. Or to just run into people. Or, yeah, if they just had Adam Monroe or any of their other massive forwards, the Rod Snows and so on, just going, we're going to stick this up the jumper. We're 15 metres out. We're just going to pick mm. and go for 80 phases. Yeah. Our ball is incredibly slow. We don't need to do anything else. I think you're right. Like, their best attacks usually came from first phase they would run like a nice rehearsed move with the back line mm. and then from there the forwards would just do really simple short carries like i think yeah. that you know the, the backs had a really necessary role on first phase and i guess finishing things but yeah because like they weren't going to get like dominant carries on first phase very often without a little bit of variation which they did no. eventually they did do a couple of times with they had this nice little lineup move where they put it at the back and then they had Rod Snow running a short angle at the 10 which was really good and like that that mm. made a lot of hard yards and stuff but the only reason why that was effective is because the back line were also running really nice moves and you know that they had fast wingers who Fiji had had to genuinely mark and were genuine credible threats Stuart Barnes says at one point that Fiji are allowing Canada to make this game rigid, which I think is very fair. But I actually think Canada don't allow it to be rigid enough. Mm. I think they kind of needed to... It's the point I've been making about Wales this whole Six Nations, is Wales just need to be the most miserable anti-rugby. Yeah. And Canada don't need to do that. But they're getting a little bit over-ambitious. And it's not like we go on to see in this World Cup where teams get excited by the Fijian style and try and buy into that as a contest. Canada are more disciplined in it. They're just not going far enough. Yeah. They're just trying to get to the point where like, oh, we've ground them down. We've got to the 22. We've done the hard bit. Now we can throw four fancy passes or now we can chuck it to Rod Snow on the wing <laughs> or, you know, now we can try and run 20 phases off 10. And like, this isn't going to work. Like, just stick to what's working. Stick to what's running for you. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think they're a team with really good structures and stuff. And mm. you're right. Like, if they, they look really well coached. Yeah. Absolutely. And if they were, if they got a point for crossing the 22 metre line, this would be a really <laughs> yes. evenly matched game. Yes. But alas, that is not how it works. No. But points, however, do come in the form of tries. Yes. And uh, Luare scores one early on from a lovely simple DSP, which is incredible that, that works <laughs> in a Rugby World Cup group stage match. Please explain what a DSP is for the less uninitiated of the audience. I should hope most of the audience will indeed know that a DSP stands for Dummy Switch Pop. It's like the most simple move that just like... Basically, if you get together a load of rugby players that never played before, the two moves that they will run uh, in the back line are hands and DSP. They're always the ones... And, and I guess Rangi as well. Rangi maybe maybe comes into the conversation. But that's a little bit more advanced. So uh, The thing is, that... Rangi is called Rangi. Yeah, yeah. Which is the thing that puts you off it. Yeah. But the thing is, what you do is... You're... It doesn't explain what it is. What you do is name. you run hands, and that'll be perfectly mm. fine. And then you go, okay, okay, we'll do a DSP now. And then everyone will run the correct lines, having never met before, and it's great. And then you go, you're... okay, we'll run DSP off the other hand. And then that's great. You're missing switch as well, which is the other key. Well, it's an option. The on, actual on a yeah. DSP. 
you get everyone to run those lines, and if the switch is on, you you run sure. you run that once, and the center drops it, and you say, ah, always expect that ball, and then you do it a couple more times uh, off both hands, and then you go, okay, this is going pretty well for us now. Let's run a rangi, and you do it, and the third thing gets the line completely wrong. You go, okay, we'll just do hands and DSP. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That I always think about Invictus and how every single clip of rugby is just people running switches. Mm. I don't know whether that's indicative of the 1995 World Cup or it was just what Clint Eastwood liked. We'll find and out. He just wanted everyone to run switches all the time. Yeah, yeah. Aesthetically pleasing, a switch. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so Fiji get up to the 22. De La Salle does a lovely run to get them there. Oh, yeah. Ridiculously balanced. Rutuvu bounces someone as well, which is fun. Seeing a fullback bounce someone is always funny. And then, yeah, they, they run a DSP in midfield. And um, Loare, the second row, is the one who takes said pop. And uh, is really wide. He's still in a really good position here, actually, and dives over. Yeah, really good second try in two games. Really good finish. Really lovely, well taken. Fiji get themselves ahead in the game of... Uh, rugby? It's called rugby, rugby, rugby. Yeah, cool. Rugby. We then have James Pritchard gets Canada back in it, back up close, with a kick that I really enjoyed. He takes it from 40-odd metres, and he, in true rugby weight fashion, adjusts his technique by, like, lowering the arrow to be close to the crossbar <laughs> so he can hit it further. Like, he hits it really low and hard, which is not his normal technique, but adjusting for distance, he just changes the way he hits the ball. Bloody love James Pritchard. Yeah. What a player. He also just before that did this weird like grubber and chase thing where the kit, mm. the, the ball just beat him to touch and he chips it beautifully to seemingly donk the cameraman on the head. Like it, <laughs> he chips it like after the ball's gone across the field, like in almost frustration, but it's so delicate that, and the ball just glides ever so slightly above the camera. And you can only just imagine that that's probably hit the cameraman in the face. We also have, right. As this game is still very close. A moment of truth. Okay. That I think we need to talk about. Okay. Because some will call this a conspiracy theory, but I think those of us in the know know. Mm-hmm. DTH van der Merwe scored a try in this game. <laughs> yes. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And spreaders, bit of a killjoy for the first time ever. Mm. And don't get me wrong. <laughs> In a sense, he's completely correct. Oh, he's completely right, yeah. But also, DTH, I think he's off. Yes. DTH, Van der Merwe scored a try in this game. And it was created by somebody who I would describe as... Hmm, let me think, let me think. Uh, I'm just trying to get the right a words A very here. fine male child. I'm just thinking the right words. Okay. I'm thinking the right words. I would say he's a good boy. You'd say he's a good boy? I would say he's a good boy, is Mike He's Pike. a good boy. Oh, it must be Mike, Mike Pike is a Mike good boy. Mike Pike is a good boy. He has this weird little counter-attack where he picks the ball up, tries to glide on the outside of somebody, and of course, he never beats the first defender. Of course he doesn't. It's <laughs> Mike Pike. And then he slightly sort of drops the ball, and it coincidentally lands on his knee. <laughs> yeah, like, well, it falls... It He drops the ball, and he goes to kick it. It hits his knee instead, but it bounces beautifully, <laughs> so it's a perfectly weighted grubber. So it sits up ideally for DH, DTH Van der Merwe, who then does a lovely sidestep on Ratuvu yeah. and runs in over the line to go under the posts. And Spreaders goes, no, you knock that on. You're not fooling anyone. And the great thing but, is like Van der Merwe then turning to the referee like, come on, what about my support line? I perfectly anticipated him dropping the ball onto his knees. Mike Pike, I play with him every week. 
But it has got big time, like, turning to their dad, who's just told them off, like, Sir, yeah. come on. Come on. Be a laugh, you know? <laughs> I believe that should have been a try. I don't... I believe that uh, Tony Shabrobe made the correct decision, and I, if I was a referee, I would have made the same one. But I also believe that DH, DTH Van der Merwe scored I a try. I think both of those things can exist. it should have been awarded. Shall we yeah. factor those seven points into uh, into the, the scoreboard that we go with for this podcast? Sure. Yeah, okay. So No, we shouldn't. No, we shouldn't. But in your hearts and minds, you look back at In my game, heart, just, in particular. Just, 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 yes. just, you know, include those seven points. Be nice. However... It's not to last, because Rotuvu, as soon as you take your eye off and look at the other fullback, he's back up, he's in it, and he's over the line. Yeah. The original move that Fiji run here is beautiful, by the way. And when I say original mm. move, I mean give it to De La Salle. <laughs> Which is a great move that is very, very effective, it I would say. It certainly is. Ruanga does this really nice break and offload as well, where he kind of like spins out of one tackle and then kind of lifts it for the next man running onto it. Yeah, and as you say, Rotuvu crashes over and it's extremely well-deserved. Yeah. Already, Rotuvu is like free touches of the ball. A great example of the thing I've always said of bring more back free players onto short crashes and pick and goes and mm. so on. You look at how good that someone like Muki Korombete is. Josh Adams has done it a few times. There's plenty of examples of players that can sniff around there. Yeah. I just think players that have a finishing instinct are very useful in those situations. Definitely. Alex Cuthbert started doing it at the Ospreys this season, and it's been really effective. Mm, weird. Uh, he scored, I think, two of his free tries for the club from it. <laughs> but yes, like Rotuvu, you're right. He has that perfect blend of standing in the right position and being strong mm. enough to crash over. And yeah. he uses both of those to his advantage there. Yeah, really well taken. Really, I also stuff. have it done on on route that Naivua bumfars a man. I don't quite remember what I mean by that, but someone gets bumfired by Naivua. It's just the way this game seems to go, though. That Fiji have basically got into the Canadian twenty two three times, and they've scored two tries. Whereas Canada have basically lived there, like they now pay squatters' rights on the Fijian twenty two, and yet they've got nothing. They've got one penalty out of that entire time. It very slightly reminded me of the Namibia-Fiji game from 2011. I was thinking about that. Very slightly. Not as good, but like the fact that Canada were doing something to genuinely work them down. And then Fiji would just... Fiji, as Claire Thomas put it. And would just go, oh yeah, yeah, but we can do this. And we can go 90 metres and offload. I was having the same thought, but then the... The problem with the whole thing is that Canada weren't taking their points in the way Namibia were. Yes. The whole appeal of that game is Namibia were doing whatever they could to get on the scoreboard every chance they got. Hence the bloody free drop goals in 15 minutes. Yeah, and the Um, 60 metre penalty. Exactly. They're just taking literally every chance they're given with both arms. Yeah. Whereas Canada here are hoping for a little bit more all the time. Mm. And if they could have just been a bit more steady... And they could have relied on an Anderman role. Ryan Smith had perhaps enjoyed a drop goal. We could have been looking at a different game. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I completely agree with that. I say that they're, they're winding them down. They've only got six points. They're good for yeah. 12, 15 points here in mm. that first half. Yeah, I think so. And it's a real shame. Like, the half-time score is 15-6. It feels quite evenly matched. Which is both not a reflection of how the play has been and a fair reflection of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fiji deserve to be up, for sure, because yeah. they've taken every opportunity that's come their way, most yeah. of them from further than 50 metres out. Which is the core of the game. You know, the core of the game is converting your opportunities. Yeah, definitely. 
Definitely. Does that more or less wrap us up on the first half, by the way? Like, I think so. There's, there's one other note I have in the first half, mm. which is, uh, Miles Harrison says, Jamie Cudmore was being a bad boy again. <laughs> so, very much ties us back round. Yeah, he was being Maybe very he naughty. Just loves, he loves assessing boys. Maybe that's Miles it. Harrison. Maybe that's it. Can we, can we crowdfund Miles Harrison to go to a dog home? Oh man, just walking around pointing out all the Mike Pikes he can see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe Mike Pike's a fish. I doubt it. Because uh, I saw him. Um, You've never seen a fish? <laughs> that's not true. So I've seen many fish. Okay. Fishomania, even. I've watched Fishomania. That's true. As Dr. Covered fish. Gloriously by one Claire Thomas. So uh, they start the second half, and Fiji are just like, yeah, we're Fiji. <laughs> Do you know that? Akabuzi and Gera wakes up in the second half all of a sudden, doesn't he? I didn't realise he was playing. Yeah. I'd forgotten he was playing in that first half. He put two say games he was of like performance into the previous unbelievable. game. Unbelievable. Yeah, fast game. And this game, he's just there. Yeah. Until the first thing in the second half, literally my first note is, Ungera, stop it. He does what I would call like a fullback's run. Where like he comes yeah. into the line and then just get like sneaks on the outside of one man, does one of those like pseudo dummy switch kind of things where he kind of like puts the ball in one hand briefly and is like, no, I'm going myself. And then you remember he's still Akabuzi and Guerra or not a fullback and he bowls someone over. But you always forget, don't you? Every time he gets the ball, you always forget. Yeah. He's ridiculously well rounded that you kind of there's always a skill you forget he has. It's glorious. He's so good. And it's sort of his only moment of the game. He makes one turnover later on at quite a key moment, but it's sort of the only big stand-up moment he has, yeah. which is really weird. But even having as quiet a game, which is one of the quietest games I ever saw him have, mm. this, he still has two moments of being unbelievable. Yeah, because that silky run at the start of the second half does actually lead to a try. Yeah, where this is the lead-up to Della Sau's try. Yes. Raluni and Little both throw fantastic passes. Hmm. And it's good that they've got two genuine game managers there in midfield who can yeah, spot yeah. that space and throw it as wide as they can. Because Fiji can just trust those two to do that simple job and stand like three steps wider than they were beforehand and give De La Salle that space to actually run in. Yeah. It's a really great finish. It is. By De La Salle. It is. He's strong, isn't he? Yeah. Him just effortlessly gliding around as well yeah. to get on the outside and then somehow ride Mike Pike's tackle going, you're not a good enough boy for me, and managing to get over it. It's a hell of a finish, hell of an opportunity, just takes it with both, both hands. Yes. Also, great underrated hair. Mmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, obviously when he's overshadowed by Nicky Little, there's kind of not much you can do about that, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm here for De La Salle's winger hair. Also, speaking of De La Salle, can we please talk about his break that he makes not long after this? I have written down simply the word Della Wow. Nice. It's very good. Very good. Thank you. I have written Thank down you. Della Sow is red hot. He gooses around three men from starting from his own 22. And what I love about it is the men that he's sidestepping are progressively slower as he goes on. So first he steps a winger, then he steps a flanker, and then he steps Rod Snow. And each time... He can look more and more effortless. It's such a like a pleasing break to look at because, again, it's the way he stops and then goes, and you just you don't expect mm. him to have that much power in the way he runs, even though he's literally Villamone de la Salle. God, he's ridiculous. He's a ludicrously strong runner. Like I love him. It's 
such a thing to be able to watch. It's a treat to be able to watch. Mm. And then he does this beautifully weighted pass on the outside to Little, just as he runs out mm. of luck, because he does like one more goose step, and you're going like, oh, he's going to try and finish this. And then he just flicks it to Little on his outside, and they, they carry on. I think they get up to the 22 off the back of that. It's just amazing. Well, they end up with a penalty, mm. which is in a very kickable position. And this is a point that I found really interesting because Fiji go for the corner and Harrison and Barnes have a long conversation about how they would have been better going for the post and they're very surprised that they didn't, which I think is very telling that bonus point culture hadn't yet infested rugby. Mm. That it has kind of come around in the late 90s in Super Rugby and then been slowly taken up in Europe over the years leading into this World Cup. And it had been in, you know, it was in the World Cup. It existed in the World Cup pool stage, but it wasn't a focus and a focal point in the way that it is now. People weren't thinking about it every time a fourth try was scored, as people do now. You didn't have, you know, a little BP counter on the scoreboard. And so people were very much viewing it as a bonus. You know, it wasn't a target. Yeah. People weren't looking for five points. You were just going, well, it's four points plus you've got the option of getting a fifth sometimes. So Fiji are 16 points up. And free tries to the good. And when they kick for the corner from a penalty just outside the 22, the commentators are surprised that they'd be looking for the corner. Yeah, which is really interesting. And they start talking about, is this a psychological means of trying to break Canada? Yeah, and uh, there is a bit of that. because, But like, mm. all Fiji can do at times in this game is score tries. So I yeah. kind of back them going to the corner there. Like, I think that it's a good thing for them to go for. And like... A bonus point, as they point out in commentary, would put them 10 points from 10. Like, yeah. I mean, two bonus point wins from two games. Like, that's absolutely huge for Fiji. And look, they've, they've got Australia in their pool and they've got Wales, which isn't really much of a threat. Like, they should easily cruise No, that'd them. be fine. But, bonus you know, point, like, no. this really matters that they go for this bonus point, I think. Yeah. It's a good decision by Fiji. Agreed. Uh, Even but I think it's just off. an interesting point of it, that being far more of a discussion than mm. it would be now for a commentator and for the kind of, no, like as I said, bonus point culture hadn't taken over yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also another really important point around here is James Pritchard goes for goal and misses when the score is 22-6. And there was a point, hmm. like, at that point, I thought, oh, that's Canada's last chance gone. Like, because they had yeah. to, like, if they could claw it back and just minimise that scoreline just a tiny bit, then they can start going for tries. Whereas then it feels like, oh, no, they're going to start overplaying here. Like, they're really chasing this now because that clock's kicking, yeah. kicking down. They've got maybe 25, 20 minutes left. And, yeah, like, the one time that Pritchard misses is such a crucial kick. Yeah, and you kind of feel like it's slipping away. And yet Canada managed to keep on top from there. It's so calm. But weirdly, despite them missing, it that is a turning point. Mm. That penalty being awarded rather than them nailing it. Yeah, for sure. Because from there, Pritchard puts in a great kick himself, gets Canada in such a position that they get a penalty. Pritchard puts a brilliant touch finder in. He, he gets a jackal 22. turnover himself, Pritchard. Mm. And it's funny because that then puts Canada right into the 22 mm. on the hour mark. And they then do exactly what I was saying, and they batter away very slowly at the line. They run them all, they get it out just before it gets collapsed and brought in and they get turned over for it, and they just keep slowly grinding and they keep picking and going and Cudmore carries a few times until eventually Ryan Smith calls it out to himself and he sees right in front of him. I mean, he got bumped by Ratuvu earlier in the game in like a horrifying bumpfurry fashion. But he just looks up and he just sees the option, the chance someone drifting across and he's able to bump him himself and dive over it's 
really smart rugby and exactly what they were missing in the first half mm. they run. And Pritchard nails the conversion and then gets them back downfield again. And you're slowly thinking, like, they bomb a try shortly afterwards, but then like, Pritchard's able to kick a penalty subsequently. I don't know if anyone has ever turned a game in more quiet fashion than James Pritchard does in this one. There's, there's a break he makes he's is... not even mentioned in the lead up to Smith's try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And also, like, on that as well, like, Culpin and Spicer's lines that they run off Smith for that try are fantastic. Oh, yes, yes, they yes. They run yes. that classic move that, again, I'm going to bring back the memory bank of moves along with DSP a move called slider that was really popular back in this day where they'd mm. have your outside centre would run inwards and your inside centre would run outwards on the outside and it forces both of the centres to maybe slightly like the opposition defensive centres to slightly kind of like shuffle their feet a little bit and sit on the back foot or X Factor was the other name it was given yes I've not heard that before I like yes, that yes X Factor or slider I like that and Seru Rambeni shot up and really like took the bait on that and didn't mm. watch Ryan Smith at all and left him one on one with Rotuvu, as you say, and he slid on the outside of that. He really like fell for that move and because th- yeah, the yeah. Uh, movement of both centres was so just genuinely credible and believable. Yeah, it's brilliant. But yes, as you say, like James Pritchard just really, really gets him in the game and puts him some fantastic kicks to bring them up to sort of twenty two fifteen score. Twenty two thirteen. Twenty two thirteen, yeah. And it feels a lot closer than you it, thought it was. It's weird because it both feels like it feels like a consolation try at first, and like oh, they finally got over it in this game that slipped away from them. And then the more and more they keep playing, the more and more you're like, actually, they're not out of this. Yeah, you know, they keep getting on top. And James Pritchard, none of his moments feel like huge and game changing in the way sometimes they do. But he makes so many tiny little interventions that really add up that he very quietly just makes Canada competitive again in his last Absolutely. twenty minutes. He's fantastic. He's fantastic. And yeah, Canada start to force Fijian errors. Yeah. Morgan Williams starts kicking more and Fiji starts struggling in the backfield. Morgan Williams has a tricky first half, I think, after being having the game of his life against Wales. He then can't quite back it up at first, but he gets better and better as this game goes on. We figure he's a player who has 40 minutes in him. <laughs> he's brilliant in the first half against Wales and terrible in the second. As you say, tricky first half, brilliant second here. Yeah, fantastic. Should we talk about the dick of the day, Morgan Williams moment? Is it a dick of the day moment or is it just fucking hilarious? <laughs> it's just oh dumb. wait, I've just realised which one you talk, you're talking about. I'm thinking of something different. I think we should save that one back, the one you're thinking of. Okay, please tell me about the one you're thinking of though. There's a point where Sisuke Amabole inexplicably does a slow-mo high-flying karate kick to kick it out of Morgan Williams' hands. Yes! Yes! And it, well, no, it's as he's releasing the pass. Yeah. He does this, like, ridiculous, like, bloody, was it De Jong in the Football World Cup final? <laughs> like, flying kick into it's someone. It's ridiculous, because, like... the ball. As Morgan Williams is picking the ball up... It's like he's, bloody Luigi. Yeah. But the thing is, Morgan Williams isn't even slow to pick the ball up. Like, he gets it out yeah. of his hands quite quickly. But Kuyama Bola is clearly just looking at him, just like, I know what I'm going to do here. I'm going to do the obvious thing. I'm going to do a high-flying karate kick to get it downfield. And it kind of goes like what, ten yards or something. Like it's quite underwhelming. But just the Canadians will look at it. It's like what? I've never seen that before. But I've seen it once before. Reese Webb did it against Munster once. I've seen um, years ago. Scrum halves do it where they can they chip the they kick the ball. They get their leg in the way of the nine ten channel, you know, mm. and they kick yeah, it downfield. Yeah. I've seen that happen when nines do that with each other. But not like this. This was some proper Street Fighter shit by Kayama Bole. It was incredible. 
But it is. It's this ridiculous flying kick and leaping the in the air. air and going hi yeah and sending the ball like you know a few yards downfield. Jackie Chan shit. Yeah, at the ball. It's it's hilarious. I love it. Honestly, bring that back. That could work. Yeah. You say bring it back. This is the only time I've ever seen it happen in rugby. Yeah, bring it but back. Bring it back. Yeah. Bring back that kick and to- kick and Tony Spreadbury. Yeah, I'm d- I'm down. Modern rugby. rugby is missing both of them. Really bizarre moment, but yeah. Uh, Canada get a scrum at some point. Um, <laughs> great. Yeah, that's not the end of the story. Oh, sorry. Like, yeah, well, they bring on Aaron Carpenter. They do. Who was down as their replacement hooker, but famously played yes. both hooker and eight equally. Yes. Spent weirdly, like, as alternated by World Cups, which he's playing. Yes. He's kind of jumped from hooker back to eight, hooker to eight, hooker to eight. So he went to this tournament as a hooker. Uh, 2011 is their first choice eight. Then was back to hooker in 2015. Played some eight in 29. Like, he just hopped back and forward yeah. and good on it. Yeah. Love it. I think he's played everywhere in the pack other than prop for Canada. Like right, started okay. every, uh, Maybe he's not started at second row, but yeah, really versatile player and really handy that they could bring him on at number eight because he's such a good carrier. Mm. And his first impact of the game is off the back of the scrum I was just setting the scene for. He makes a good, like, 20 metres, like, busts a tackle from Angera. Yeah. And there's a really fun bit where he's got a two-on-one with the fullback. And the fullback's just there, like, well, you've got to pass it, aren't you? So I'm just going to mark you so you can draw me in and then pass it and then I can go elsewhere, right? And he just completely ignores him and runs a completely different direction. And Rituvu just kind of goes, oh, well, I wasn't expecting that, so I just didn't bother <laughs> tackling you. Like, it's not that he drifted off him. It's not that he bought the dummy. He just forgot that he actually had to follow through with the tackle, which I found kind of funny. We've all been there. We've all been there. It's like on Rugby 22 and you forget you've got to press circle to tackle every time. Yeah, exactly. that's literally what happens. There's auto-tackling like every other rugby game. Yeah, then he has to chase him in a different direction and tackle him later on. Uh, it's great. But yeah, that's a really good break. Yeah, it gets Canada on the front foot completely. And yeah, gets them right up into the 22. And they've got so many numbers out wide. Oh, mate, it's like a, and it's like a 15 on two overlap. It's endless. It's like they put the full population of Canada there up against the full population of yeah. Fiji. It's that big a differential. The fact that we've described it in this tone probably tells you what's going to happen next. Canada throw a sequence of four of the worst passes that go to hand you'll ever see. Yeah. Like, no one drops it. No one's, like, really struggling to catch them. But they're all loopy in the air, slightly off target. Players have got to take them in, like, either... The shoelaces, like not quite in the bread basket, like round their head. Wherever's the least convenient, whatever. you know. Yeah, if it's a tall like, player, they've got to pick it up for ages. If it's a short player, they've got to leap in the air to catch it. You know, it's like when someone that's done like their first session of rugby two weeks ago, and they're taught to spin past there, and they're trying to remember. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And they're like, they're just about getting it right, and it's going in the right direction, but it's sort of all over the place. Sure, it's that sort of pass, and they throw four of them in a row to get it eventually right out to the good boy, Mykimus Pykimus. <laughs> yes. The other important thing as well, like, nobody's running at full speed to fix a man. No, they're all, that's They true. all yeah. slow down to give their passes because they're having to concentrate so hard on how to throw the ball. Yeah, it's... It's a bit of a problem. Mykimus Pykimus. But it means that Fiji are able to just... They're like two Fijian defenders back are able to track across, like, eight Canadians... Yeah. And eventually you're left with Mike Pike and James Pritchard on that far wing. Pike takes it. Instead of giving the final pass to Pritchard, he goes himself. 
<sighs> and this is maybe the most contentious point of the game, I suppose. I guess it is. I guess it is because Pike stopped. It's tackled really well He's, by yeah. um, Rattubu. Oh, phenomenal tackle. Yeah. It's a fantastic He's tackle. Tackled about an inch short of the line. Yeah. Literally an inch. With momentum. Yeah. So the ball hits the ground right before the try line. He is then basically held up for a moment and he then spins and presents the ball forward over the line and, you know, gets it down. Yeah. And Spreadbury says, I've got this as a double movement on field to the TMO. But if he touches the ball on over the line first, then fine, we'll take it as a try. And I think he's both very unlucky and it's a terrible finish. Yes. It's, yeah, it is both of those things. Because, like, I think him reaching out for to score that is because Canada blew the overlap so hard. If it was, yeah. like, honest that he got that off a ruck, right, that was two mm. metres away, and then he goes for that, I don't think he actually tries to present that ball. But because yeah. Canada had blown that overlap so hard, there's so much pressure on him to actually score off it. So he kind of almost in frustration or impatience puts the ball down over the line. And, yeah, it's a double movement. I think it's the correct call. Yeah. It's really frustrating. But it's also, I can see why it wouldn't be given us that. Yes. I think it's also the fact he doesn't throw the pass because he doesn't want to look selfish. He wants yeah. to be like, oh yeah. Because I don't think it is necessarily selfish. I do think they maybe would have had 2% more likelihood of scoring if Pritchard did have that. But I think it's more than 2%. But I, know I get why he didn't pass the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think it's his fault. I think that those two were put in a very difficult situation by a load of forwards who didn't know how to run and pass the ball at the same time. In this scenario. Yes. We're panicking a bit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think it's a very tough... The fact it results in a penalty to Fiji feels like a very tough call. It does. Call. It does. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, it's not the fault of Mike Pike. He's a very good boy. It's everybody who blew it before him, I think. Um, yeah. Because they're in such a good position to then potentially, you know, what? Come back within a few points of winning. Yeah. <laughs> Difficult one. Yeah. If Pritchard nailed the conversion, would have put them two points behind with ten minutes to play. Yeah. Yeah. They do, however, shortly afterwards, they kind of keep plugging away, even though in my head that was Canada's chance gone. Yeah. I felt like they were blown and I kind of well, my brain was starting left, to switch off maybe a bit. maybe less than? Yeah, 10 minutes to go. Just over 10 minutes. I think it was 71st minute, that try, or non-try. Yes, it was. And Canada keeps sort of plugging away and going, and they rewarded this penalty, and they go for goal. I kind of went like, why are they going for goal? Like, they were out of the... And then I realised that would put them back within seven. Yeah, Pritchard nails it. It's a yeah. brilliant kick. And suddenly, and with seven minutes to go, yeah, they're left with six points to make up. And they keep playing. Yeah. Smith puts in this absolutely booming kick from his own 22, mm. which Kayama Bowley drops into touch. And you're like, oh my God, mm. they're 50 metres upfield all of a sudden. Also, where's Farron Carpenter's work in the lead up around this? Like, his impact is phenomenal. It is. He makes a huge shot that leads to a turnover. And he makes another couple of great carries around here. Yeah, no, he was fantastic off the bench. I think he made a real impact. He did exactly what was required. Like, I think Sean Michael Stephen had a good game starting at number eight. I think mm. he was, he, you know, got the balls at the line out, didn't go backwards at all, you know, all that kind of stuff, made good, slightly dominant tackles. And then Aaron Carpenter was there to be a point of difference. I think both of them did what was asked of them perfectly. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. But it puts Canada in the 22. Yes. And they've got about two minutes to go in the game yeah yeah and they oh man 
Donatello gave a stupid away. penalty as well to, to get them in that position, mm. which Pritchard again just put straight in the corner. They start them all, and it looks pretty good, but again, they're very careful. They don't want it blown up in their face. They don't want it to go the other way. And they start with, as we said, the pick and goes and pick and drives. And there is about 90 solid seconds of endless pick and goes. I think actually, talking from the present tense for a moment, very reminiscent of Italy at the weekend against Scotland. Mm. Yes. In the last minute, very much driving in the 22 over and over again. It's the fact that they then get the backs involved in the drive, that they mm. then have Culpin and Smith both come in to like help out. And at this point, I'm thinking, like, mate, if you want your 10 to help with a pick and drive, bring on Ander Munro. Yes. Why does Ander Munro not come on? I don't know. I don't get it. Like, I don't. Yeah, genuinely, like, firstly, Ryan Smith had a good game here, I want to say. Yeah, 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 but yeah. yeah. Ander Munro, I think, would be a point of difference because he yeah. does have a huge boot on him, inexplicably. And he has this knack for the unexpected, uh, as we've yes. um, covered before. I feel like it would have been a really good counter for Nicky Little and him trying to get his team out of trouble constantly. If he couldn't have come on for Canada, he should have come on for Fiji. Yes. Can you imagine the sheer chaos of or that Fiji backline of Ander Munro pulling the strings? Yeah. Make it, make and that And pulling happen. the strings with his face, no doubt. <laughs> good old Ander Munro. Just like head-butting the strings. Yeah. Poor call to leave him off. But yes, you're saying Canada's pick and go. Yeah, they keep just driving away and then the clock turns red and they're up to the five metre line and it's the real kind of moment of truth and you're properly on edge looking at Canada thinking, could this be it? Yeah, but something has to happen soon, you know? Yeah, and it's the the ill-advised final attempt shall we say? Is that a fair way of describing the... I would say so. Because they're continually driving over and over again. And as you say, the clock's just crossed 80 minutes. They get to within five metres of line. Rod Snow goes for the... Who's been brilliant all game. Goes for this pick and drive in the 80th minute. And somehow the ball just pops out as he's trying to present it back. It just falls out, lands on the Fijian side. And here's the problem with playing against Fiji, right? Is that Fijian? Yeah, because that comes out and you think, oh no, game over, you know? Yeah. Like, Canada aren't getting to that first. Fiji are pouncing on that and getting it off the field, you know? Yeah. Except, because they're playing against Fijians, they just pop it off the floor. Yes. And who should be standing there as the last defender out? Well, formerly last defender, but Rituvu himself. Yes who takes it on his own five-metre line, looks up and goes, yeah, right. He jogs for 95 metres and leaves Canada all for dead. Well, I, I don't know. Like, I, he goes for the initial sprint right away. Mm. And I just want to, like, it's something that if you do watch this game back, and I think it's pretty much worth watching back. I think it's sort it's of... It's a good game. I enjoyed it. It's a good game. I think it kind of quietens down an awful lot in the second half yeah. and then picks up again in the last 15 minutes. Yeah. It was one of those where, like, when Canada took that last kick to the corner and they're five minutes from the try line about to win it, I go, oh my god, this is a really good game now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If if Pritchard kicked that dead, I'd be like, oh, this is an absolute dud. Like, who cares about this fixture? Whereas I was like, oh no, this is, this is suddenly a banger. But DTH van der Merwe's sheer, like, long bust yeah. as he tries to get back. Like, the sheer desperation. Oh, I felt for him so hard. Yeah. But it's properly, like... 
life on the line type sprints. And there wasn't much left in those lungs, let me tell you. No, I really felt for like, because Rituvu sort of sprints at first, then starts jogging as Van der Merwe <laughs> is like giving absolutely everything he has oh, as though his life depends on it. Oh man, couldn't help but feel for him. Couldn't help but feel for Canada in general yeah. as well. Oh God, my heart broke for them. Because Rituvu takes it, he goes all the way, yeah. he scores. He scores, the bonus point try as well. Denies Canada a losing bonus point. When Which would have been so closely, won. tightly deserved. Yeah. yeah. It's literally, you're right, exactly the same as that Blair Kinghorn one, isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah, I, I felt for Canada so much. And like the camera just pans to Ryan Smith just in tears. And it was horrible because it's like Canada have worked so hard from a game they seemingly weren't in to look like they could win it. And yeah. I hate to use a cliche, but it's the hope that kills you. It is, it is. The sheer effort on every Canadian's face. Yeah. They had 10 minutes of switching off and that was it. That was it gone. Canada were brilliant. Such a shame. Really, really I miss them. them. Poor Canada. Bring them back. Yeah. Bring back Tony Spreadbury. Bring back booting the ball out of a scrum half's hands and bring back Canada. And bring back dogs on the pitch and Andrew Monroe. So, should we do Dick of the Day and Man of the Match? Yeah, let's do it. Should we start with Man of the Match? Because I think it might be an easy segment. Yeah, okay, okay. So there's a handful I've written down. I think we've not really talked about it that much, but Rod Snow, I think, was excellent. Yes. I've got him written down. I think it was brilliant. He carried well, scrummaged well, did the three jobs that he was asked to do and nothing else. And that was that was great. I also think De La Salle was amazing. Every single touch of the ball, he did something game-breaking. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. James Pritchard was kind of my runner-up mm. because... He was, as you say, he turned the game at several points without you really realising until we've kind of covered it retrospectively. Um, but he was outstanding. Like, everything he did was correct, and you can't really ask for much more of him. But man of the match for me is Kamele Rituvu. He was bloody amazing, and every time he got the ball, you just felt something's going to happen here, and I can't wait to find out what. Yeah, he was the official man of the match. He's my man of the match. I think it's absolutely nailed on. I honestly don't think you could look at that game and give it to anyone else. Yeah, I think Mike Pike was good. I enjoyed watching him. Uh, James Pritchard, Rod Snow, the other names you mentioned. Uh, I thought Sonia Cotto was very good for Fiji. Yeah. I uh, had one ridiculous moment where he ended up on the wing as a kind of like proto-edge forward and knocked it on. <laughs> Did like the most ridiculous, like oh, knocked yes. it five metres on because he wasn't expecting it at all. Yeah, he was kind of rubbish pass in fairness, but yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I thought he played well. Uh, I thought both the Fijian locks were fun. Yes. But I don't think there's any world in which you can possibly give it to anyone other than Rituvu. Yeah, I think that's I think fair. he's just absolutely nailed on. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. As you say, lots of really good players putting their hands up, but he's very much the standout. I loved him. Absolutely. Dick of the day. There's a lot to be said for Saramaya Bai's ridiculous drop goal attempt with five minutes to go. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that nearly goes From the touch. corner goes nowhere yeah flies in the opposite direction barely gets like to about head height yeah go on we've we've we spoke a, we, there was a moment we mentioned earlier i feel like well, there's two things that morgan williams does that i think are worth mentioning in this conversation okay. one is dick of the day brackets derogatory and one is dick of the day brackets positive <laughs> okay let's hear the positive one first so <laughs> for everything i said about Cotto, right for his general play Bloody hell, he can't throw into a line-out. <laughs> Bless him. Um, <laughs> he absolutely can't. And the, the Fijian line-out was a shambles. <laughs> and yeah, it helped that you had the two hard blokes called Mike and Jamie Cudmore just throwing themselves in the air constantly. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, oh God, how am I supposed to throw it around them? They're bloody tall and yeah, Canadian. Yeah, throw all three of them up at once. And Fiji really struggled with the line-out. Like, 
even when they won their own ball, it was always messy. Yeah. We haven't really talked about that at all, but like their set piece was a bit of a mess yeah. and Canada were on top of them there. In particular, the line out where they just caused them so much stress and pressure and they couldn't play anything clean off the line out. So in that way, should we give one of the mics man of the match? No. But the other additional thing that I noticed early in the second half and I noticed on every line out after that is as Cotto is throwing in, Morgan Williams just starts talking to him. <laughs> Like, he stood in the kind of hooker channel, and he's just stood in, like, having a chat. Small talk. And it's not like he's shouting at him. Yeah, he's just sort of talking and, like, saying things to him. And I don't... You can't quite make out what he's saying. But you can sort of hear a slight mumble and see him chatting. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And clearly, Spreaders is too busy chatting and listening to the voice in his own head to I'm notice. So, I'm so down with that. I think that's, that, yeah. I think that's great. So that's stick of the day brackets positive. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm down with that. Go on, talk us through the derogatory one, because let me tell you, that's what I'm giving Dick of the Day. Yeah, me too, and bless him for it. Um, He can't avoid it. He physically can't can't avoid avoid it. it. Like, yeah, even if something worse had happened, he could not avoid this. Well, offer... Is it a maul or a scrum that's going forward really well? Uh, Scrum. Scrum. Scrum that's going forward really well. And the referee, Tony Spreadbury, says, okay, you've got free kick advantage. Do you want it? And as they keep driving forward, 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 he blows the whistle because Morgan Williams says, yeah, I want the, can I have the, the free kick? Which is quite a smart thing in itself, by the way, because mm. it means that the opposition backline and forwards are all a little bit further downfield than 10 metres. So it means he's got loads mm. of space to run in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all engaged in the scrum still. Yeah. Like he's choosing to take that while it's still there. Yeah, it's a really smart decision. He takes the free kick. He gets back to the mark. He gets, well, no, he gets back to like only two metres in front of the mark, which Spreaders is all right with. Uh, another man of the match moment for James Pritchard. He successfully inches on Tony Spreadbury, which is bold and I loved it. He made about five metres off one of his kicks that Love Spreadbury it. didn't notice. Morgan Williams gets about, yeah, two metres in front of the mark, takes the tap. It goes straight over his own head and after hitting his hands and he fumbles it forwards. It's not good, is it? Taking a free kick and immediately dropping it. Because he's trying to turn around as he's taking the free kick to, like, reverse pass it. Yeah. Except he can't do that because he's then trying to put his hands in two places at once and he just fumbles it in spectacular fashion, having asked for this free kick off his forwards who are doing a brilliant job on their own ball scrum. Now they've got to go and do one on the other side. I literally decided at that moment, he's dick of the day. Yeah. It's unfortunate. There's nothing you could do about it. But Morgan Williams, you sir are my dick of the day. Sometimes it just has to be the case, doesn't it? Yeah. Sometimes dick of the day chooses you. And that brings us through. Oh, finally, another episode of the Bloody Squid Rugby World Cup Retrospective podcast, the rugby podcast that is here. Please, please, please join us next week when the game will be Samoa against Tonga, the game with the famous hacker standoff. Yes. We should have a guess for it. It should all be good. It's very exciting. It should uh, we'll all have be you. Good. It should all be good. Uh, Will, have you been? Um, it's been good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I've been uh, enjoying myself. Um, good with the rugby goblin. That sounds weird. <laughs> Quite. Uh, yes. Thank you very much to yourself. Thank you very much to Miles House and Stuart Barnes for sending that exclusive clip over. Thank you to the rugby goblin for being a brief guest, and we will see you all very, very soon thank you very much did you have any verses on the game by the way i've closed up very quickly no. good great great see you next week bye alex mitchell is a good international scrum half 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 